This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. Goldie Hawn sits, Matt Damon hits, and Adam Sandler shits this week on 302010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010. My co hosts are smiling at my dumb intro. Just want to point out a laugh where you can't hear one. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a Little journey back 30, 20, and uh, 10 years ago, back to the pop culture past. Our pop culture past, our shared history uh, from a specific week, and that week being June 10th to the 16th. And we'll be taking a look at all the cool stuff that happened and came out in 1992, 2002, and 2012. And there are some pretty great highlights in every single week that I can't wait to talk about. Uh, hi, I'm one of yours, Chris Antista, who also with me. Perpetually pitchy, Diana Goodman. Pitchy. That's a no for me, Doug. And I'm J.R. Rawls, and some people might say it's wrong for a man to love a wax replica of himself. They're wrong! <laughs> wax, J.R., I hope you're picking pockets in wax heaven. Oh. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to understand exactly what that is. And also, uh, big thanks to our patrons, patreon.com slash lasertime. Uh, we got some listener response questions from this very show. Uh, coming up, me and J.R., uh, relaying your anecdotes about the things we're talking about. Uh, there's a 80s in-depth thing we're doing because Diana's Classic Corner is mobbed with the greatest movies in history 40 years ago. It's the best, the best summer for movies ever, and we just recorded one of our longest shows talking about E.T., and I can't wait for you to hear it. I, had, I, I didn't feel like any time was wasted. Um, yeah, E.T. is the shit, even if it's not your favorite movie. It's undeniable. E.T. is undeniable. And uh, created our blockbuster future. And uh, we can get that on patreon.com slash later time. Five bucks and a bunch of other stuff. Full-length movie commentaries, live streams, videos. Thank you for your support once again. Moving on into the show. 1992, June 10th through the 16th, beginning as we always do, 30 years ago. The owners of the, the Seattle Mariners uh, approved sale of Seattle Mariners to a Japanese group. Oh no, it's the 80s and the 90s where the Japanese are buying everything. Oh, they're going to take over the country. They're going to make us all eat sushi against our will. The Japanese are going to eat us alive. Um, and... So so this is such a dumb story mm -hmm. because Yamaguchi, the head of Nintendo, was the main owner in this Japanese group buying the Mariners. Mm -hmm. He was not a baseball fan. The Mariners were in danger of leaving Seattle. And Yamaguchi, out of generally just the kindness of his heart, he was like, you know, we're headquarters in Seattle. Yeah. It's been really good to us. Let's help our host city out and keep the team in Seattle. And then the racism struck. Yeah. And yeah, it was. <laughs> I, just, I, I think people it was were like, we don't want you to buy our team. And it's like, the alternative is it's no, no longer your team. team. It, I, I, even at its most cynical, it was, I think, a Japanese company like we're 
have a site in America. Let's, but if we do this good thing, maybe we'll get a foothold with a local culture and we won't have to deal. Nope. Turns out the racism was turned up by like 80 fucking degrees anyway. Um, and it, it there's all... only two places in the world that like baseball. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Central America slash the Caribbean and Japan. Yeah. And, and, and a, a little Korea, my, my uncle was, he, we had him on that one bonus time. He was an international pilot. And the biggest baseball fan in the world. And he's like, and it doesn't compare to how much Japan, the, the Japanese love mm. fucking baseball. I, I've been to a Japanese baseball game and it is an experience. Yeah. It is an incredible thing to have fans chanting in unison. Yeah. It's like they put work into it. Yeah. And then when it's over, they clean up the stadium yep. and <laughs> everything they do. I'm not yeah. lying. Yeah. Everyone had these giant blow up balloons that inflated at like the exact same time. It was amazing. Yeah, he, he was like, I, he goes to baseball games constantly and it's just like, but kind of all Americans do is cheer. Yay. Oh yeah. And like, but they have like things they do for, players or specific things and like it's super exciting like a yeah. call and response it, thing that the whole audience isn't on it's like the way you'd actually like baseball to be yes um but this deal with nintendo uh being basically the new owners of the seattle mariners was almost going to get crushed mm. it was like tons of feedback this close to being like we're gonna cave into the racism but then a hero came in to Ken Griffey, George oh. W. Bush oh. lobbied <laughs> oh and got God. professional baseball to approve the sale to Yamaguchi. That's right. I forgot he has like a shady Back history. When was, yeah, when he was with he was the, the son Rangers. of the president at that time. He yeah. wasn't yeah. elected to any office. So but yeah, was he involved with uh, the Rangers yet? I don't know the time. I don't think so. I guess so. That, probably yes. I don't think so. I, I read a, a biography on him. I don't. I think that was like into the late nineties, two thousand. Either way, either he was way. President in two thousand. There's oh, not right. a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> Good points. I'm incorrect. Um, it, but it also led to, I think, something Nintendo struggled with: the forgotten Ken Griffey Jr. baseball. Nintendo owned a team and now had ownership of the the team that had a very widely recognized baseball great, Ken Griffey Jr. And uh, those are games no one remembers now, <laughs> but they were exclusive to Nintendo, uh, Ken Griffey's baseball games. And uh, that's not even the only news. Clinton has his sister soldier moment. Tell me more. This is still referenced today. The more I look at it, again, I'm going to harp on this. The 1992 presidential election is the start of the modern election cycle because People talk about you need a sister soldier moment. Uh, what that means is you have to attack a member of your base who goes too far to show you're not that far and appeal to the middle ground. Mm. Yeah. And in this case, it's the rapper and activist sister soldier who said like so, something roughly to the effect of, uh, you know, everyone ignores when there's black on black crime. Maybe we should start killing white people. And they'll get people to pay attention. It wasn't that extreme, but it was taken to be that way. Of yeah. like, she's trying to start a race war. You can only say that in a pro, like a pre-Fox News world. <laughs> I assure you, they'll pay attention to black on white violence. Yeah, uh, yeah. So Clinton got you know all kinds of stuff about like, but you're so friendly with Jesse Jackson, blah blah blah. And he's like, I obviously don't agree with that. What what the f duh? And then 
I mean, we heard this come up again in 2008 with uh, Obama and Reverend Jeremiah Wright. Right. That that was yep. exactly a sister soldier moment. It's like your your preacher said some terrible things. Oh well, I don't agree with that. Proof. That's it. That's yep. that's it. I'm not as extreme as they're trying to paint me to be, even though I am attached to this extremist. I wish Republicans would have more of these because their party's been taken over by the crazy peoples. Yeah. Googling it, it looks like the exact quote was if black people kill black people every day, why not have a week and kill white people? That's oh. the like money quote. She came up with the purge. It's only fair. <laughs> it's only fair. Lastly in the news. I think we forecasted this, but uh, perhaps Dan Quayle's finest hour, misspelling potato. And I remember at the time, I'm 12, and it's just like, don't let anybody know you didn't know how to spell potato either. So I, researching this, I'm afraid I'm, I'm like dipping my toe into being a Dan Quayle apologist because this was not his fault. Okay, he was at yeah. a spelling. He was at a spelling bee. He was given cards on how the word is spelled. The kid spelled it differently from what his card said. His card on this is how you spell potato spelled it with an e. So if you're at a spelling bee and you're given a list of words and how they are spelled, how sure do you have to be before you'll challenge one of those words? Because I guarantee you, if I was at a spelling bee judging it, and they gave me a card with potato with an E, and uh, this whole thing didn't happen, I would absolutely go, okay, stupid English is stupid. Uh, stupid English is stupid, and, you know, potatoes has an E, so, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I feel like it's a fucking elementary school. That's a pretty easy word. I think that's ask the question of, like, are you sure this card is right? Yeah, instead of having yeah. like a lo-fi Ron Burgundy moment. Like, yeah. <laughs> Ron, yes. <laughs> That's exactly how I imagine it going down. But yeah, it was uh, captured on film, and this is what he became famous for. This, more than Murphy Brown, more than everything else, uh, has been the shadow over Dan Quayle's yeah. Vice career. presidency, is, you know, yeah. which is a word we don't use very often. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, because yeah, he's really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out he's a good and honorable man, and he took it really well, and the Secret Service busted into his room while he was fucking his wife once. That happened. <laughs> what? But, oh, but, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, I was just thinking of, like, this might be the last time we bring up Dan Quayle for a while. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, in, in I think uh, the vice president lives in the Naval Observatory, and they have... Um, like panic alarms that just look like regular tchotchke and you like knock it over and the secret service comes running so apparently he and marilyn were getting down pretty heavy wow. and knocked over like a, a thing <laughs> of the washington monument or something and secret wow. service ran in and like threw her on the ground <laughs> oh, that's dan's job All right listeners you heard it here Dan yeah. Quayle fucks like a beast yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was getting he was getting it dan Quayle was going at it so hard the secret service got worried yeah like, exactly you think you can lay pipe oh my god and i appreciate that you know he and marilyn just sort of rolled with it like well i'm sorry that was a understandable <laughs> misunderstanding as far as i understand they didn't like everyone needs to be fired oh my god i'm just like nope sorry I'm, about that i don't even want to ask this but like 
where did you hear this? Like, what, what, is this like in one of their biographies or was this a I'm news story? I remember. I feel like that was a news story that was like an excerpt from a, a biography. Like okay. That's, that's where the best tidbits come from. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I didn't read the biography, but somebody summarized <laughs> the fun parts. I'm not going to read a fucking Dan or Marilyn Quayle biography. You nuts. Nah. Um, <laughs> anyway, news over movies, or should I say movie? Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised there's only one. Yeah. I mean it's June. Yeah. Uh but yeah. it's it's a well, tiny next tiny week I was gonna say next week is really quiet too because there's a heavy hitter next week and everyone gets out of the way. I don't yeah. know why they're not why they're getting out of the way. They're like preemptively getting out of the way this week of just like yeah, I, we don't I have some I have some idea and Patriot Games is still number one at the box office, but the other movie on first glance on 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 a glance thirty years afterwards looks like the most inconsequential movie ever fucking made yes but goldie hans on a huge streak in one of the most famous funny women in the world and is a bankable mm. movie star steve martin is the male equivalent to goldie hahn they had yet to be in a movie i know it feels like it's happened a bunch already because they did go on to star and other things together sort of because of this but this becomes massive hit in terms of pro it's it's a big summer comedy with two of the biggest comedy stars on the planet. It's in nineteen ninety-two, I think Goldie Hahn was the biggest female comedian on the planet. I think she was the biggest she might have been the biggest female box office draw, period. At wow at, at that point. Uh at least through you know, from late seventies to the eighties. It's I, again, I'm like really young. However, I saw this movie twice in theaters. I don't remember anything about it. And 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 then I was like, which one of these movies do I rewatch this week? It can't Ken Cheeseman. Cheeseman? Uh Richard P. Shaw, Peter McNichol, Donald Moffat, Julie Harris, Dane Delaney, Goldie Hawn, and Steve Martin in House Sitter. They look like the perfect couple. Sweetheart. Sugar? It seems like the perfect marriage. Wow. There's only one problem. You're a con artist. They're perfect strangers. My parents think we're married. What is happening? We have this amazing communication. You know, it's like... When? Steve Martin. I punched a totally innocent Hungarian. Goldie Hawn. Oh, how fun. How silly. I want this marriage to work. What marriage? Rated PG. Ha-ha. <laughs> a movie directed. <laughs> by Frank Oz, uh, Yoda and Fozzie Bear fame, and let's just, yep. the Blues Brothers, Mr. and American Werewolf in London, Mr. Kessler. I love hearing Fozzie's voice in movies coming from a human being. Uh, uh, but the, the, yeah, this movie made like $100 million and the budget is all going to Steve Martin, Goldie Hawn, and the house they are in. There's nothing yep. else to this. Goldie Hawn <laughs> is a con lady who is squatting in the house Steve Martin is building. Yeah, and... it should be called squatter, not house sitter. Yes. She, she <laughs> doesn't actually house sit. Yes. She just squats in there. And then when Steve Martin confronts her on it, she is so good at lying on her feet and taking advantage of other people's kindness. Clearly, she's done this before. Mm -hmm. she has got, her character has got to be a major league con artist. Yeah, and, and this, again, I saw it twice. That's what the movie theater... We've been talking about this a lot on shows that haven't aired yet, but the quietness of the movie theaters... Or like, there were a bunch of great movies in the movie theater 40 years ago, but it is like a dozen, and they stay there for months. It's mm. that, I did want to say, uh, getting out of the way of a film that comes out 
next week mm -hmm. makes more sense in 1992 because movies are a lot less dependent upon opening weekend box office yeah. and they're much more about the long tail yeah the, week two week three week four up to like three months in the discount theaters mm -hmm. yeah yeah like th i think six months you, that's how it used to be six months you hit the discount theaters pay-per-view home video rental and then hbo yeah. one year later yeah rental if you could get to rental in six months you're a cheapie that turned around way too fast yeah yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's usually more like nine months it's so just to get to vhs i think Doctor Strange will be from movie theaters to a streaming <laughs> subscription service in like two months to the day, uh, bypassing pay-per-view and home video and all that shit. It's, yep. uh, it's, a, it's a different world out there. But House Sitter, yeah, the, I, I somehow saw it several times in the theater and it just, I, I didn't love it, didn't hate it, but I think it was uh, in our family, Steve Martin was kind of one of those few things that like, all four of us agreed on yeah steve I, martin is I, awesome i feel like this movie is we kind of have a theme this episode which is like this isn't a good movie mm -hmm. but the people in it are doing a good job where it's like i don't think house sitters an especially good movie no it's you know it, it's silly it's kind of formulaic but it is so much like but steve martin's doing a great job and goli Hyun's doing a great job and it's fun to see them together so it's like for completest only week or something <laughs> I, I i don't know it's like i can't recommend this movie but i, I can't it's not that i hate it yeah, yeah. it's just sort of in, it's nothing bad. it's inconsequential it's yeah it, it doesn't matter at all and if i may be mildly delicate around my lovely female co-host all the previews had like a moment in the trailer in the tv commercial of goldie hawn being naked Mm -hmm. which I yeah, don't not think that you see anything, but the characters are seeing it. The characters are seeing it. And like, I just remember being as a kid, like Goldie on Yeah. My, my parents want to take me to this. Of course I'll go see it. It was in a, Implied in a, Goldie Hawn. Yeah. In a, in a smaller world, Goldie Hawn being naked, like take my six fifty, uh, please, <laughs> <laughs> please. Uh, I remember being, even as a little prepubescent kid, super excited about the idea of seeing that. Um, sorry. I, Again, different times uh, and a little boy coming into his yeah. own hand. Exactly. Um, yeah. House it's, sitter. Uh, whatever. House sitter. It's just so forgettable. It, it doesn't get good reviews. It's pretty much just what we said. Like the, pro It's that I hate me, mean Steve Martin. Mm -hmm. I, love, I prefer my Steve Martin way jerky, wacky L.A. Mm. story. But he's not quite that, like, bringing down the house cheaper by the dozen, like, the foil of every joke, the fucking fuddy-duddy. He's yeah. just shy of that. So everybody, both people get to be funny here. And since that is our only movie of the, of the, of the week, we got to go right into TV. But it is, uh, you know, kind of equally exciting. Uh, with the first MTV Movie Awards, which to me... Oh. What? Very, very first. Yeah. What? Yeah. Back yep. when they were being silly. Hosted by the hottest comic in America. Brace yourselves. It's Dennis Miller, babe. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he would he would be hosting like six years from now. It just feels bizarre. MTV well, the cool was channel. So hip in 1992. I True. mean, he left SNL at his height 
when he left last year, mm-hmm. he was like regarded as one of the all-time great newscasters in SNL history. He, and people were very excited. He really might he be doing. one of the best Weekend Update anchors. And he, yeah. If you didn't hear Norm MacDonald say all that, if you're not still mourning Norm MacDonald through archived interviews, Norm was pretty adamant. Like, no, Dennis, everybody else, they could, Chevy Chase and... Jan, uh, what's her name? Jesus, Jane Curtin were classic. Like he's like, no, they weren't. They were doing dumb newscaster performances. Jane, you ignorant slut. They were playing characters. Dennis Miller came on and did jokes. He, be- he in his voice. He didn't pretend to be a news anchor. And then it became a coveted role for funny people because of Dennis Miller changing it. Uh, and yeah, it just I know. The modern perception is Dennis Miller is one of the only right-wing comedians that we have, but at the time, he had writers who weren't. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, also, 30 okay. years is a hell of a drug. Yeah. 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 And I, I love Dennis Miller during this period. Oh, that's... Oh, yeah. oh I was a huge fan. Yeah. I think I tuned in for Dennis Miller for this MTV Movie Awards. And look at this. Yeah. Look at this. Oh, this is the, the music... <laughs> Are hilarious though, because it's just Terminator Two Judgment Day for everything. <laughs> I'm trying to. Remember, is this the year like they got William Shatner to reenact all the movies? They would do quirky, funny shit like this, and I think the people who ran the uh, MTV Movie Awards now run the Oscars. So if you think the Oscars are funny now, it's because they stole MTV's movie people, MTV Movie Awards people. I don't know about that, but I do know I this do. is the year <laughs> Jason Voorhees wins a Lifetime Achievement yeah. Award. Yeah. Oh yeah. Setting setting the the template for years to come where their lifetime achievement awards were fantastic. Yeah. I know it ended with Clint Howard, which is it's so great he, and such a bummer. No, they ended it there because they're like, we can't top this. He really is taking this seriously. And and he he's so touched. It's like it feels bad to like keep doing making jokes. Like, but they, I mean they had Chewbacca and they like Godzilla. No one's gonna be like, oh, you're you're being too mean to Mr. Kruger here, MP. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Why do I have a I have a vague recollection that uh, Jason Voorhees was actually just John Lovitz? Oh shit! Did that again? Like maybe he, that's something else I'm thinking of. But someone where it's like we hear him talking, like that's totally John Lovitz. Vi- Viacom has been notorious about ripping all this shit off of offline, and like it's yeah. Difficult to find and see, but like the MTV Movie Awards, I prefer them to, vastly to the Music Awards. Yeah, because it was so focused on fun. being funny and like the it was the most entertaining award show that there ever was. And uh, again, it sucks. MTV has abandoned its identity completely. And I and I I'm one of the assholes who watched the MTV Movie and TV Awards two years ago just to see what it was doing. This is great that the performers in it. It's such a passing of the torch of what pop music is. Live performances by Ugly Kid Joe doing their, what I remember is like kind of the last hair metal hit, uh, Everything About You, I Hate Everything About You, and Vince Neil, along with En Vogue and Arrested Development. It's just, Mm. it's difficult to think of them as musical contemporaries, but it's sort of like, (laughs) uh, En Vogue and Arrested Development are sort of taking the torch away from (laughs) Ugly Kid Joe and Vince Neil, Motley Crue, and becoming the new popular music on MTV. 90s are being born before our eyes. Yeah. Uh, Terminator 2 wins fucking everything. And and that that's sort of... Basically fucking everything except best villain. Rebecca yeah. De Mornay from Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Work, girl. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, 
but it does give you a sense of how long ago 30 years was because Keanu Reeves is like ridiculously awkward accepting his reward. He he's like a guy who has never acted before in this. Well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he learned, he learned wow. on the job. Um, I guess I'd like to thank all the people who took the time and money uh, to call in and uh, MTV and I don't know. Uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what we know about Keanu now, shy, nice guy. But, yeah. yeah. I like he's just sort of a shy guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for he's an actor, a, doesn't a, seem to love speaking in public. Yeah. <laughs> most desirable male for point break. And I mean, what are you going to say? Uh, Johnny Utah. I'd hit it. Uh, and yeah, he beat Swayze in, in that. It was Ooh. a film versus Louise, and he won. So Yeah, Good but he wanted it so bad, it was like ass in his mouth. I won't argue. That's the line <laughs> that that is said. Never mind. Uh, moving on to H- an HBO movie, A Private Matter, with <laughs> Sissy Spacek and Aiden Quinn. Did not yeah. see this one. Oh, really fucking timely, and it is on YouTube. It is based on the true story from 1962 of a woman who had like four or five kids already, and she was pregnant, but she took a whole bunch of thalidomide because of her morning sickness. And thalidomide, it turns out thalidomide uh, gives you, it. it um, is really bad to take when you're pregnant because even though it was marketed to pregnant women, it causes horrible birth defects. Like people make jokes about flipper babies and it's like you're lucky if you get off with just just having a kid with you know their hands attached to their shoulders Mm. so yeah it's about her court case of like i would like an abortion now please for the sake of me and for the sake of my you know child who i really wanted but is probably not going to survive and it should be my right you know to make that decision and she ends up having to sue a hospital to try to get that and also like tried to keep it private obviously because also she was like a tv host this is based on a real person and she was like a children's tv host and wanted to keep her name out of it because it's a medical decision and it shouldn't be public and then it became really big in public and became a horrible thing and she had to fly to sweden to actually get an abortion because that's back before row so everyone should fucking watch it to see what we're in for i keep forgetting we're probably about to Bah. Uh, oh, some of us don't forget. I, I know. I, I just like some of us take our birth control pill every night, and we think, "Oh yeah." <laughs> yeah. What's What's next? Uh, as we What's next? Should I get an IUD before they're not legal anymore? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> better start. Yeah, private matter. It's, we... it's, like I said, it's on YouTube. It's It's very good. And start it's... Start weaving those white hats, Diana. Because yeah, we're going to live in a covers... Handmaid's Tale. We're going to need them. Yeah, but I mean, it covers all. You know all the different angles. There's obviously a religious angle. There's a medical angle. There's a privacy angle, and you know, really, it, it covers everyone pretty well. So, yeah. And I want to give a shout out to the YouTube channel I just found this on in widescreen. You got to really care. It's on the YouTube channel Megan's TV with four thousand subscribers, and looks like to mostly be. It has no profile picture and is mostly exists to chronicle the work of a young Megan Fox in TV, trashy TV movies. The whole account is just like forgotten TV movies from this person who gives a shit. Um, I always wonder where those come from. Ultimately. It's like, like, where do you even get a copy of this? Yeah. Is, 
Megan Fox want to play like one of her kids or something? A lot of these are like movies from the 1990, 1997, 1992. Yeah. It looks like she's, yeah. Linda Hamilton in A Mother's Prayer. The price she paid is on here. Hey. <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, the Rape of Richard Beck. Okay, that's a harsh title. Um, oh, dear. Yeah, anyway, moving on to... Some uh, of these we've talked about. I, I now have to look up. Uh, <laughs> There's got to be some kids somewhere in this that's like, wait, really? I, I love that because like, I found... I found a movie I loved as a kid recorded off of TV and has never been available for home purchase or digital rental and I found it on a person, a Jennifer Jason Lee fan YouTube channel. Had the full <laughs> Disney movie, The Young Runaways, uploaded because Jennifer Jason Lee is in it for four seconds in the 70s. <laughs> Love so that. back before YouTube, in fact, way, way, way back in the 1990s, mm -hmm. uh, I was a huge fan of MST3K and I was yeah. trying to get a collection of every episode. I couldn't because it was just hard to match it up. Had to go to the yada, digital yada, yada. Ar archive project. Uh, <laughs> so uh, eventually I found a company whose sole thing was we record TV shows and send you tapes of them for money. And so that's where I got to. Th and they had a huge catalog and it was a physical catalog and it was ridiculously big. And I got to think that type of company is where we get all these TV movies from the 80s and 90s from. Wow. That 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 is totally possible in a news story I will bring up in the next decade. Um okay. that is completely possible because this is this practice is older than you think it is. And I, I just yeah remember being a kid finally getting the internet. It's one of my favorite memories ever. And we're like cliched all sitting at the screen and just typing in URLs to see if they work. <laughs> and to see if they work and like we were huge Mr. Show fans and we're just typing in every Mr. Show reference we can think of RonnieDobbs.com uh, <laughs> FatKidCamp.com and then lo and behold we type in a Mr. Show reference and 23 years ago up pops an archive horrible postage stamp quality of every Mr. Show episode ever at the URL jugfucklers.com a reference to a magazine in an episode of Mr. Show jugfucklers um, and we, we enjoyed jugfucklers persisted for like two years before being taken down like ten years before YouTube why am I I'm avoiding talking about sports but Chicago Bulls 30 years ago retained the title they beat the Portland Trailblazers who I haven't thought about in 30 additional years so I was living in Portland, oh, Oregon, and this is actually the most JR has ever been into sports ever, 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 because the Portland Trailblazers were doing amazingly well. And I know it seems laughable in retrospect, and in that Michael Je uh, Jordan documentary, we're just like skipped over as this like speed bump to Jordan's rise. <laughs> Get to the Celtics, the Lakers. <laughs> but in 1992, in Portland, there was a real feeling that Clyde the Glide Drexler wow. could beat Michael Jordan. And it wasn't a blow away. I want to point that out. The, uh, the Chicago Bulls lost some of these games in these finals, and they won in the end. Uh, but there was a lot of question about whether that was going to happen. Uh, but in 1992, Portland was not a hip place. Portland right. was not 
known outside of like a hundred mile radius of Portland. No one had heard of us. We were, uh, I think, less than half the size we are today. And to have our team be nationwide competing against Michael Jordan, it was huge for us. Mm. Huge. Mm. Yeah, it's this is it's great that it's ninety two where we've got the Olympics coming up, so we get to talk about the dream team. Oh shit! And it was there was so much of uh, basketball in this time was was really well. Who's number two? Mm. You know, if it's not the Lakers and it's not the Celtics, yeah. Like yeah. I'm in, I'm a fan of whoever can make it to the finals <laughs> against the Bulls with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and everybody else. You know. Yeah, it's, uh, no, who's the civil medalist? <laughs> That's the real question. Um, and what's this clip about? Uh, this is showing that uh, it was indeed a question. In 1992, Michael Jordan was not Michael Jordan in all capital letters yet. He mm -hmm. was a rising big star, but he wasn't the juggernaut that he will become in the 1990s. You could forgive the Chicago Bulls for not understanding the difficulty of what they aspired to. After all, they'd lost only two playoff games last spring and breezing to their first NBA title. And this year was supposed to be more of the same. Until the wrestling match with New York. Two losses to Cleveland. The blown lead. All right, very dramatic, yeah. Bob Costas. <laughs> uh, and then the show, this week, the show Grapevine debuts? What the fuck so is Grapevine? So this is so modern. I cannot believe how modern sounding this 1992 TV show is because what it is, is it's mainly 80% people talking like they're in the office. It is absolutely a proto office sitcom where people are talking into the camera, explaining what they're thinking, what they're feeling, making jokes. And then you have the actual action happen and then cutting back to different people commenting on that action. Wow. I literally wrote an outline for this exact same show called Smoke Break. Um, nice. I'm not kidding. Like We, we thought it would be hilarious. Um, wow, yeah. Uh, got six episodes? Six episodes. Six episodes. I mean, you know, if you're not paying attention to the show, this is not a good time to have your show premiere um, in the <laughs> middle of the summer. And, yeah. And I see uh, Patrick Warburton's name. Yes, he, he appears on the show. I want to see how... Uh, how his voice sounds. Baby Walburn. Well, see, I don't think that Randall wanted to kill Laureen. He loves her too much. Still, I can't believe you'd ever go back to him. Yeah. It's like trying to get a horse to step over a dead snake. Oh, he's got little Brock Sampson with the southern twang. <laughs> uh, pretty good. High five. Uh, but I think <laughs> they're talking about the show that we're going to talk about the reboot on in the final segment. Wow. Uh, Jack's Place also premiered last week, but whatever. It's Jack's yeah, Place. Yeah, I, I blew the ball here on all you Jack's Place fans. That's got to be a saying <laughs> soon, right? He really blew the ball on this one. Arms. <laughs> so, uh, you, don't, you don't want to cross those Hal Linden fans, man. They are brutal. Look at you. So it's about a retired jazz musician uh, named Jack, played uh -huh. by Hal Linden. He runs a restaurant where Rome is it romances tend to start great um, woot uh woot and then uh by the way we also wow. get the um end of next generation 
with a season, end of season five season finale with Times Arrow part one. This is famous because it's the episode with Data's head. Yay! Mm. It's, it's it one may- of these. It's one of these like uh, Chrissy keeps saying like, well, that that show sounds like that episode of the Orville. And it's like, <laughs> well, duh. Yeah, this is one of those. It's like, hey, that's like that Futurama. Well, duh. I know, I know, I know. I've I've, I've lived in the shadow of Next Gen's legacy through parody. I will say, by the way, the the Orville had their data character commit suicide this week. Like this going places Star Trek will not go. <laughs> wow. Uh well this one is it makes the list of most worst TNG episodes of all time list. Okay, so um, not the uh, Borg one. Yeah. This is this is not good at all. Uh it's it's data, his head is taken off. Uh it's found by Mark Twain and Gaian oh. is in the past, but it's her from the past, not the future, but she's going to find out about the future. And the only thing that ever stuck with me about this episode uh, was uh, Whoopi Goldberg, as the bartender, makes a drink that's the exact temperature so that when you drink it, it evaporates in your mouth. And I always thought that was such a cool concept for a sci-fi drink. It's very cool. We can't do that, but that sounds super cool. And you can guarantee Slugworth won't steal it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know. (laughs) That's a stupid thing to say. Um, 1992 video games. These are like kind of going to be all Genesis. And I love the, the biggest basketball game had such a weird name. It was just the people in the finals every year. So this game is this year is called Bulls Lakers. Yeah, and it plays like every other 16-bit basketball <laughs> game. I don't feel any of them really stand out the way like NHL 94 stands out. Uh, if you talk to... Go ahead. Look at Nintendo made NCAA basketball, and it's just kind of this odd 16-bit Mode 7 approach to 3D basketball. It's like two frames a second, but it's like over-the-shoulder. Great. It's uh, it's over-the-shoulder 3D basketball on, on a 16-bit right. system. Uh, I played a ton of it for some reason. Um, yeah, because I love that before companies would go locking down the entire NBA license, it's competing with on the same platform with David Robinson's Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great game where, you know, you start out in the circuit court of appeals oh, and work your way to eventually being chief justice. What's what's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, overturning Roe versus Wade. So declares Justice Robinson. Uh, got Caddish and then Fighting Masters out on the Genesis this week. So Fighting Masters is god awful. Uh, you it starts out with an awesome epic storyline. 12 solar systems are going to go supernova, but a superpower race will save one and only one race who, pro- who wow. proves to be the best fighter the in the best galaxy. puncher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your species will be saved on your ability to punch. And there's only two buttons. You can jump and you can attack. The Genesis had more buttons than that. Why don't you use them, 1992? Use them. They're there. That's that's how big Street Fighter was. In order to get Street Fighter on the Genesis, they had to redesign their controller with enough buttons to accommodate it, and they did. But it took. It's not happening yet. And uh, awful port of one of the worst games ever, Bart versus the Space Mutants. What's sad is that Baby Jr. rented this, mm-hmm. even though I didn't like. 
Bart versus the Space Mutants on NES. But because I was so built into the hype, 16-bit is better. This will look Try it on 16-bit. I was like, I've got to play this bad game that I didn't enjoy. Oh, <laughs> look, it's still bad, but in slightly better graphics. Mm-hmm. Console wars were a weird time, man. It's, it's, we, we were streaming it, and like Dave, our uh, Diamond Dog Dave Rod has way more patience for shit like this. Its first level is very clever. Yeah, it's the, a, it's it, a it's a adventure game disguised as a platformer in the first level because you yeah. solve puzzles. You you are the aliens are hiding. Um, you can like what unmask them with coloring things purple. But to do that, you got to use slingshots or tip over a paint can on a ledge. It's all these really clever things that's masquerading the rest of the game which is the shittiest side scroller you have ever played in your life and is unfair as fuck. The first level that's, is the only clever thing about it. The and, NES had horrible controls for this game, but somehow the Genesis controls are even worse and I don't <laughs> get how they improved. If you want if you want great controls, worse. you got to turn to Splatterhouse, Splatterhouse 2, one of the slowest games I've ever played and uh, Warrior this is Rome. Fun. I, I I played it for the very first time. I have zero nostalgia for the Splatterhouse series. I love Splatterhouse, and, yeah. Yeah, I, I just didn't play it. It passed me by when I was young. Uh, but this is a solid brawler. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a fun little time waster. Uh, and it doesn't do anything super unique or super amazing with the formula. But now that my video game time is very limited, I can enjoy a game that's workmanship-like. You know, I, I don't eat avant-garde cheese. I eat cheese that is workmanship-like. So I can enjoy a piece of art that just does what it does well without always having to uh, innovate. What kind of cheese do you want, sir? Orange, please. <laughs> I'll have the orange cheese. Uh, and then this is crazy. Uh, we don't always have books to bring up unless they're super notable. And, but Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson is... Probably one of those books. Yeah. Um, sort of de- defining terms that we use daily right now. Metaverse is uh, from this book. Uh, but my bet, my personal belief, this has the best name character of all time. I don't know. Is but... it the main character? Because it's like the, the one character. thing I know out of this. Yes. I know it's, you know, sort of it's cyberpunky and it's like a future where everything is like hyper capitalistic. But I before you I, say the name, I just want to remind you. Name. So good. I want to remind you, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a character named Ben Matrix in Commando. Is it better than Ben Matrix? Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what what's the name? So uh, the character is Japanese mm-hmm. or half Japanese, I believe, and his first name is Hiro, and his last name is protagonist. Um <laughs> <laughs> Seems placeholder, uh, but I'll, but, yeah, I like it. But this is a amazingly fun read. Um, there's so much stuff in this that you're like, well, I can't believe this was written 30 years ago. It has that Neil Stevenson amazing bits and pieces that you just get lost in. Uh, I'm going to read a quote real quick. Until a man is 25, he thinks every so often that under the right circumstances, he could be the baddest motherfucker in the world. If I moved to a martial arts monastery in China and studied real hard for 10 years, if my family was wiped out by Colombian drug dealers and I swore myself to revenge, if I got a fatal disease, had one year to live, devoted it to wiping out street crime. 
if I just dropped out and devoted my life to being bad. Hero used to feel that way, but then he ran into Raven. In a way, this is liberating. He no longer has to worry about trying to be the baddest motherfucker in the world. That position is taken. Mm. <laughs> Raven. Sweet. Snow Crash, man. 30 years old. It's difficult yeah. to believe. I, I, the, the influence of it and just yeah, the idea of World Wide Web stuff, metaverse that we did not have in 1992 and that you can see from everywhere from, you know, Xbox Live or yep. mm -hmm. Second Life or just about any any lobby of any video game, I suppose. But Chris, before you were 25, did you ever think you could be the baddest motherfucker in the world? I mean, I think the show is proof that <laughs> I sort of had that going on. Um, challenge me by donating to our Patreon. Um, $20 and I will fight you. That's, <laughs> I should probably be higher than that. Um, yeah, that could really hurt. I, I am big, but I am totally out of shape. Um, Music, Jump by Criss Cross, is still number one and is this yeah. close to pissing off even the children. Uh, new, we got new releases this week also, uh, such as Mecca and the Soul Brother by Pete Rock and CL Smooth. Uh, going back to New Orleans by Dr. John. <laughs> I'm guessing Diana wrote, did he ever leave? My neighbor is his guitarist. Isn't that weird? No way. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, was the best. Uh, World Falling Down by uh, Peter Katera and... Uh, Hold Your Fire by Firehouse, and of course, Out of the Cradle by Lindsey Buckingham, who, uh, I'm sorry, we're going to have to bump this episode when we're along. What up with that? Uh, <laughs> so let's close out with uh, When I Look Into Your Eyes by Firehouse, but we will be right back with 2002. Don't move. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. But I want to talk about good cartoons. Talk I talk about, about a good cartoon, a good yeah. experience, a movie I have seen three times. What? What? I've seen three times. Yeah, I've seen it twice already. Uh, that's Chippendale Rescue. What the fuck? I, I'm supposed to be the, like the diehard here. Jesus Christ! It, it is, I, does seem like a movie custom made for you, though, Chris, because it's like yeah. the sequel to Roger Rabbit. We never. It is. It is Roger Rabbit, and I. I don't say this with cynicism. It's Roger Rabbit for uh, millennials and Gen Xers, uh, yeah. and, and and just because, like, you know, I didn't want to spoil things for Michael. I was just like trying to say, like, you're not going to see Mickey. And you're not going to see Donald, really. But, like, dude, there's schnookums in meat in the end credits, for fuck's sake. I don't think that's been acknowledged by Disney in any way ever. But there's, like, they're just, boom, there in the end. It's fucking crazy. It, it, uh, some of those cameos that they got and are the, so, yeah. just Randy Marsh is in a... Randy Marsh is, Randy in Marsh a fucking, is chilling in his sauna. In a, in a sauna room. I was... I, I got... With uh, two of the three little pigs. <laughs> Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime.
Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 302010. Coming in with David Bowie. You may not associate with 2002. Yeah, Everyone Says Hi by David Bowie off of Heathen. Heathen. Crazy. Yeah, it's, it's good. Sounds like classic Bowie, man. Yeah, I think like, you know, just lightly, Bowie was on Arsenio Hall 10 years ago <laughs> to the to the week. Like, uh, yeah, dude was doing shit whole time, whole time, man. 2002, June 10th to the 16th. We also have some other new releases. Didn't we bring up Wasp last week? Um, I think so, yeah. Well, but now in they're 2002, back. they're back. Wasp. God Loves Ugly by the Rhyme Sayers. In Violet Light by the Tragically Hip. I always like to say it like, uh, what's his name? Jim Pardo? Don Pardo. Don Pardo, not Jimmy Pardo. <laughs> no, by They Might Be Giants. Uh, Sticks and Stones by Newfound Glory. And Untouchables by... Cron or corn, if you want to call him that. Foolish by Ashanti is still number one. I don't remember this song being that big. I don't either, but it was. Um, and a little bit of news to bring you into the wonderful world of 2002. What was happening 20 years ago? Ken Warwick, UK scientist, connects his nervous system to his wife. Yeah, this sounds like yeah, bad sci-fi. So, this, so he's been doing this for the next 20 years. He is like the go-to guy on connecting your nervous center. Like prosthetics. Connecting and... your nervous system to things that are not your nervous system, whether it's another human being or to a robot or to whatever. And he says straight up, this was a gimmick. This was a test to get more coverage and more news. But he sends a very basic signal from his nervous system to his wife's nervous system. So it's basically like binary so you can communicate yes no mm -hmm. no no yes yes I thought and you take out the trash <laughs> <laughs> but as a method of communication that's really 
limited. It's it's actually it a lot better to just use the phone or or call yeah. or, or email. It's but, not as technologically uh, advanced as a horse answering math problems. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's been trying to progress for 20 years in this area. And, uh, you know, if 40 years from now you can, like, connect your eye sockets into artificial eyes fairly easily because we're all old, probably owe some thanks to this man. Wow. And um, sort of piggybacking on a uh, deviation in the last segment, I never heard of this website, but Film 88 is shut down. It is the second website successfully shut down for rampant movie piracy. And it's based... Oh. And this got to last a little while because it was based out of Tehran, where the U.S. had no jurisdiction. <laughs> and they are offering... New Hollywood movies and streaming episodes of shows. And it's hilarious because the news articles, they promote it as in VHS quality, <laughs> which, which, is, which is shocking 20 years ago. We are like a, a good almost a decade away from like serious online streaming. But these people figured out a way to do it on your PC alone. Problem was didn't have any permissions and <laughs> just selling movies they don't own. And the MPAA was going absolutely apeshit and they shut them down because while your website is in Iran and we can't touch you, your server is through Europe where we, ah. where, you know, there is some jurisdiction, but I just thought of like a dollar to a dollar 50 and you could watch on demand VHS quality streaming video in, in 20 years ago. I know we laugh at VHS quality, but I had uh, some clips mm -hmm. from 2002 and they're not VHS quality. Yeah. They are far below VHS I, quality. So that's, that's decent. It, it hurts. Cause like, uh, uh, I love the state and it's really hard to get any good copy of the state. And like the best copies are the people who fucking, did the digital transfer 20 years ago and they're like quick time files and they're they're nowhere near vhs quality the worst but they have all the right music intact moving on to the movies of 2002 and these are all kind of biggies um oh yeah this first one man i i'm gonna give a warning to anyone who is in mk ultra because I might say a trigger phrase to turn you into a Manchurian candidate because trigger phrases should be things that are not commonly said. You know, it's a sentence that has never been said before. Right. So you're not going to accidentally run into it. This is a boring John Woo movie. Oh no. I did not see that coming. Crush capitalism. I still think my favorite one of those is from, from American Dad. <laughs> I'm getting sick and tired of this orgasm. That's, yes, things no one has ever said. So. Uh, it's yeah, a Carlin bit. I need to take a shit while running at full speed. <laughs> <laughs> Wind talkers, baby. Brian Van Holt, uh, Roger Willey. What a great name. Mark Ruffalo, Noah Emmerich, uh, Peter Stornell, uh, Adam Beach, Christian Slater, and Nick Olas Cage. Oh, this is so disappointing yeah. because, yeah, it's, it's a World War II movie. takes place in the Pacific, which not a lot of them do. It's directed by John Woo. And yes, the action scenes are spectacular. There's some amazing fire effects of tons of dudes on fire because they hit a pillbox with a missile or whatever. But it's a movie with Navajo Code Talkers yep. who deserve a way better movie than this. First mm -hmm. of all, they deserve to have a movie where they are the main characters and not Nicolas Cage caging out all the time. <laughs> Because you get the both cages. You get the sad cage and oh, the rage cage. Oh, oh, all my buddies died. Oh, my buddies died. Ah, Tommy gun everyone. Ah, I got cook crazy. Ah. Yeah, it is really slow. Yeah. And 
such a bummer because the Navajo Code Talkers is a fucking great story. They are so cool. The idea that we had in World War II a secret weapon in that we had a bunch of these languages that no one else speaks. Yeah. I mean, not not many Japanese speak Navajo in 1942. Yeah. So we we could just have a bunch of Navajo guys and they'd use, you know, code words like tortoise actually means tank. And they they never broke our codes. But it's about uh, Adam Beach, you know, is this newbie code talker who just wants to help out and everything. And Nicolas Cage is supposed to be watching his back and not let him get captured. That's the big thing. It's like, if it looks like this guy's getting captured, you got to put a bullet in him. We protect the code, not the man. And it's so boring. (laughs) How do you make this boring? And how do you never address the idea like, hey, Native American dudes, this is the same military that like rounded up your people and hunted them and wiped them out. It's yeah. still technically the same military. How do you feel about that? Like, why would you want to help yeah. them? At this point, the end of Vietnam is about as far away from us as World War II was from the last Native American War. Jesus. Yeah. 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 It's the recent. last one was in 1890, 1942. That's 52 years ago. Yeah. 52 your, your years ago, we were in Vietnam. Yeah. Your grandparents and elders would remember. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The last people getting rounded up or shifted from one reservation to another because oh, this reservation was too nice we have to go to someplace even shittier yeah now the action scenes pretty impressive movie slow as fuck Dir- please make a decent code talkers movie director's oh cut almost 160 minutes yeah for, because they had to cut back on violence wow. because it was it's john woo and he is not going to skimp on the horrors of war everyone is getting Sorry. riddled with bullets all the time it's I, I kind of appreciate that he does show some things from the Japanese point of view too, that it really is like, no one wants to be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one, no one is choosing this for any sort of ideological reason, except for we were told to go do this. Everyone's a person and everyone is someone who loves them back home. And yet everyone has to die. And uh, so make a code talkers movie, make a go for broke movie. Yeah. We have a, a, a bankable director and a, recognizable movie stars and a 20 year ago budget of 115 million dollars this mm. thing was a colossal failure yeah chasing that saving private ryan money i mean that they is a really, there yes there's some sequences like oh that's what you're trying to do huh yeah, yeah but that's that is an expensive movie for 20 fucking years ago when your biggest star is nicholas cage followed by peter storm air uh yeah. <laughs> not, not the face-off reunion we wanted no. Uh. <laughs> no, I'm just it's such a good story and it's just nothing but cliches and boredom and all centered on the sad white dude. That's not the story. Yeah. Uh, anyway. There's a new yeah. sh- there's a new show about the Navajo I just read about today. I wanted to check out. Yeah. Uh, my dad took me to a lot of Navajo re- reservations yeah. back in the day. I also <laughs> had to doing research and realizing, okay, so Adam Beach was also in Flags of Our Fathers where he played Ira Hayes. And he's like one of the only Native American actors that has not popped up on Reservation Dogs yet. <laughs> <laughs> they come back for another season. Right. I, I want to see Adam Beach because he's a he's a good actor. And yeah. oh, this movie was so, so, so disappointing. Yep. And if I were if I were a betting man in 2002 of what was going to be the better action movie, I would have put all my money on Wind Talkers yeah. and I would have lost it all compared to the next yeah. film. Yeah, because John Woo, of course. Yeah, that sounds mm. awesome. Mm. Yeah, yeah, John Woo versus the guy who made Go and Swingers. <laughs> Thinking an action movie? <laughs> um, Go was fun, but... 
God damn it, Diana, for making me say this name. I know who this actor is, and I've never been able to say his name right. The next movie we're talking, Adewale, Akinoyu, Adebije, Adebije, I forget. It's it's Mr. Echo from Lost and Adebisi from Oz. Uh, yeah. You know the man. He's a fucking awesome actor. And I at, at this if somebody could find this for me, right after he died on Lost, he went on Jimmy Kimmel Live. And it's like, right after Lost, why? And then the announcer said his name perfectly. And like, it was so, none of us knew it. That was, never mind. <laughs> Mr. Echo, <laughs> Clive Owen, Julie Stiles, Brian Cox, Chris Cooper, Franca Potente, and uh, why not? Matt Damon. The Born Identity. I'll give you $10,000 to drive me to Paris. I can't remember anything that happened before two weeks ago. Trained by the government. You've got a black ops agent who's off the reservation. Trying to disappear. I don't even know who I'm hiding from. I gotta figure this out. Born to survive. You! Stop right there! On June 14th, Matt Damon. This is not gonna stop. Is Jason Bourne. What are you gonna do? I'm full of surprises. Identity. Born Identity. Technically, not not a dead franchise? No. I don't think so. Um, no, I believe it's still going. But he's no Richard Chamberlain what? from the made-for-TV 1988 version oh, right. of the Born Identity. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah, they, tried, existed. they tried before. Well, the book was huge. You know, Robert mm-hmm. Ludlum was, was huge. And, um, yeah, it just kind of didn't, whatever. And Doug Lyman, like I said, director of Swingers and Go, was, like, really, really into robert ludlum books i really fought to try to get the rights i did not realize his dad is an incredibly interesting person he was like i think the head of the commission investigating the attica prison riot whoa and was counsel i think he was the senate counsel for in the iran contra scandal so he was a guy who knew from cia shit and that's part of what really got doug or uh yeah doug lyman interested in wanting to do something with uh, clandestine cia shit and base some of the characters on stuff that he learned from his dad wow. and they, they strip a lot of stuff out of the book and they, they sort of simplify it but it's still like it's still kind of a thinking man's thriller with a yeah. lot of really cool action well okay it's... i, I want to talk about this because i feel that this film was expertly directed for the story this film was trying to tell, but that it kind of ruined action movies, okay? The fights in this film are very disjointed, and that's great for this film because Jason Bourne, the character, is a man with amnesia. He's not real clear how he knows how to fight. He just does it. He is lost in his head a lot of the times trying to figure out what's going on, so the chaotic nature of the fight scenes work for this film, but then every other action film copied this style in times when it's not a good style I, I, the I, point I, I, of I an think... action movie for me is to see the action and so many times after yeah. this film we are denied that it's why jackie mm-hmm. chan movies are special because they don't cut away from the hit and mm-hmm. i think it's paul greengrass who directs the next two movies that kind of yeah. defines cements it the... absolutely cements it is this that like the bond movies had to change a lot of action yeah. movies had to change because like this is the the gritty realism that that we're expecting from action movies and it's like sometimes like it it the mood is right but yeah physically like i but i would like to see that clearer yeah maybe. yeah this dude just jumped between two buildings could you just maybe hold this shot for more than a millisecond for, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and i i'm i'm punching one of the, and punching and punching i can't see who's landing i feel though. like one of the few people this movie didn't work for me at all 
And you said apparently you just don't like spy thrillers, man. Not, yeah. not really. And I think it, like more so than the other movies, this is is a little slower and headier and like really. I just remember like rolling my eyes over and over again because in the same way, the heist movie concept where everybody double crosses everybody else that happens here and Mm -hmm. everyone is spying. We don't know why or what they want, but everyone is screwing everyone over and espionage is all over. It it was super eye rolly to me and I never was really able to latch onto the series. Um, I, I mean, it is a film trying to paint an interesting story whose prime movement is the attempt by a bureaucracy to close down a subprogram before they have to explain its budget and committee. Yeah. That's 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 <laughs> yeah. the main thrust of this film. That is what they are trying to do at the end of it. And I thought that worked. And when he says, oh, it's a program that we closed down and was a waste of money. Okay, moving on to subsection paragraph B12. Mm-hmm. I thought that worked brilliantly. But that's one thing that I I like about this movie in particular, along with the Bourne movies, or at least the Bourne trilogy. I haven't seen the the last two, Legacy mm-hmm. or Jason Bourne. Um, Terrible name. The, I I like you know it's never doing the bad thing. It's the cover up that gets you, and that's yeah. basically what this is about. They're they're trying to cover up the evil assassin shit that they were doing, and that makes stuff. It's also a good wanted man on the run story. Mm-hmm. Always always works for me. Going all the way back to Hitchcock. And they shoot it like that. The love yeah. interest is shot as a woman on the run, not a supermodel on a runway, which I appreciate. Yeah. And just the little basic things of how do you avoid, how do you get cash when every ATM has a camera on it? How do you avoid the Interpol? How do you avoid this? And like, well, maybe if I drive, then I don't have to use this passport. Oh, gosh, I've got a lot of passports, which I, I don't know. What was my job? Because it seems like it was bad. It was bad. And like his surprise when he just like goes into automatic mode and just fucks a dude up. It's like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. But muscle memory says I yeah. can. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. And I went in the first time blind, not knowing anything. So I was following Matt Damon's character progression of mm-hmm. his knowledge as the character was going through that journey. So that to me just completely worked. I mean, if you go in knowing this is a spy with amnesia. I don't think you'd have as good of experience as I did knowing who is this guy? What's going on? Cause I was a complete blank. Yeah. And I, 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 I'm saying like these movies didn't work for me as in like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I like Matt Damon. I like <laughs> movies like this. I'm not shitting on the movies cause they're clearly competently made and fucking huge now. There was pushback in 2002 about Matt Damon playing an action. Guy. Yeah. There was a lot of, you know, internet chat. Oh, no, it can't play an action, man. The I know we we we've deviated a little bit talking about the media landscape, but this movie got reviewed well, and mm-hmm. almost nobody saw it in theaters uh, in America in yeah. overseas. It, okay, it was a slow word of mouth one. Yep, and uh, it, I believe at by the end of the year, it becomes the most rented movie of the entire year by yep. a significant margin, and wow. a sequel is greenlit two years later by a film that hadn't. Really, like Austin Powers is the only thing I can think of where, like, this being successful on VHS and the new medium of DVD leads to a, a sequel relatively quickly. Two years from now, we'll get another Bourne movie, and that cements it as one of the biggest franchises of the modern cinema era. But it almost didn't happen in movie theaters. Uh, it, it's sort of shocking. But yeah, word of mouth, people finally found this movie. That doesn't always happen, like, not, not even in the streaming age. So it's it was... 
I think that phenomenon is super cool to see. Yeah. One little statistic about the director's style of this film that I do want to point out. Uh, when talking about film, a useful term is average shot length, ASL. Mm-hmm. Okay. In Born 1, the ASL is four seconds. Wow. In Born 2, it's 2.5. <laughs> and in Born 3, it's two seconds. So every two seconds in Born 3 on is a cut. Wow. On average. I, I mean, obviously, it's it's not like that. But that is too fast. Yes. That is not good directing, in my opinion. Yeah, that that's not. <laughs> and again, I don't have that complaint about the Born movies. Like, I was like, ah. I mean, this is just where cinema is going to go, especially action cinema. And I didn't learn that until, like, hearing Jackie Chan talk about, like, why his movies are special. Because they don't cut. To, they practice to not hurt themselves. They don't cut to avoid hurting themselves. American movies do that a lot after after Born Identity. Well, again, another problem was copying something without understanding why you're copying mm-hmm. it. And Jason Bourne one were in his head. So when you see a bunch of fast cut cuts, you see like clues. You see Jason Bourne figuring out things through those fast cuts. The problem was a lot of other directors didn't put the amount of detail and thought and mm-hmm. just shoot it shaky in a way that doesn't serve the narrative because it's easier to cut away so your actors don't get hurt. Yep. But then when they do let shots linger, it does have a pretty hell of an impact. Like you said, him jumping from one building through mm-hmm. a window into the other building. That's one long take, man. Yeah. You know, he's, it's not he jumps, cut, he lands. It's camera goes with him. It's like, yeah emphasize where the action is and I, I believe these are i think they're all streaming on peacock now i saw it last week with patriot games yeah i think there was like a new video collection in honor of the anniversary so hey i love to see cool. it you love to all see right. it. yeah 20th anniversary of born identity it's one of those things that at the time it just seemed interesting and yeah we've definitely had the fallout from it yeah, you know for 20 it, years since somebody should say it paul rudd gets a lot of attention for not aging Matt Damon does not look any different now than he did 20 yeah, years ago. That's and, fair. Like, I mean, at all. He, not, he doesn't he, even have a got, new haircut. <laughs> he's got a painting in his attic. Um, we should check into one of these yeah. days. And I'm just, I am just happy to see Franco Potente in anything. We talked about Run, Little Run, say. what, two years ago. That movie is, she's Amazing. so much fun in that. And, like, every time she pops up in something, you know, even if it's, like, The Princess and the Warrior, I quite liked. But she's just, I don't know, she's around i don't know if she's just making more movies in germany than here but she also hasn't aged that much jesus i just saw a recent picture where i was like what are you doing probably, so you have a magic elixir well probably, you know personal chef's help but mm. uh, <laughs> and studio funded dieting yeah a slow burn compared to what's the number one this, movie that is I, I i didn't even need to emphasize how slow a burn this movie became a hit because of what beats it and i feel like we're gonna you know our opinion might differ from that of some Younger millennials, because I fucking hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Sugar Ray, like the band or the yes. boxer? Okay, so yes. Martin, yes. McGrath. Martin McGrath and friends Ray, yeah. in this movie. Uh, Stephen Grimes, uh, Miguel A. Nunez Jr., uh, Isla Fisher, Rowan Atkinson, Linda Cardellini, Matthew Lillard, Sarah Michelle Geller, and Freddie Prinze Jr. in the number one at the box office film, Scooby-Doo. All of Scooby's friends are on the case. We're here to solve a mystery. 
The leader. I do a tremendous amount of teamwork. The smart one. I'm going to solve this one first. The cutie. Would you do it for a Scooby snack? And. Reggie! Yeah, we do! The best friends. Who's your best buddy? Reggie. And who's my best buddy in the whole wide world? Ruby Doo. Scooby Doo. Look for it on video and DVD. I will. And that's where uh, I ended up seeing What is your history with the Scooby Doo franchise? I hate it. Are you emo- no emotional hate- attachment to the characters? I, I, I actually loathe it. And, I, and like, not so much in its modern form, but just like, dude, it was on all the time. It was one of the only cartoons with a fucking laugh track. In mm. every single episode of those old shows, I've seen even in the '90s there were better animated, better written episodes of Scooby Doo. Yeah, dude, pup named Scooby Doo is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've I, seen I will, I will King Ghost and... of Scooby Doo. I will go to bed. But it's just for. like being a kid, and like this was just on constantly. It's like I don't want to go off on too much of a rant about Hanna Barbera and Cartoon Network. Hanna Barbera didn't have a lot of successes. It had like three successes that it tried to rip off over and over again. And my whole life as a kid wanting to watch nothing but cartoons, I was forced to watch Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo ripoffs to a point where even as a kid, like, I want to pull my fucking hair up. Please, Nicktoons exist soon because I'm so fucking sick of these teenagers and this anthropomorphized thing that's their friend or a car or a dog. You mean the dune buggy? Yes, dune or a jabberjaw. <laughs> you or... mean uh, caveman. The caveman. Love Captain Caveman. Not, you uh, need to say shit about yeah. Captain Caveman. No, so here's the thing. Yeah, I'm also like, I was a little kid in the early 80s where I watched a lot of like 70s and 60s Scooby-Doo. And my relationship to it is it's it's dumb, but it's fine. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I personally, I really love the mystery machine. For yes. some reason, that's the yeah. only thing that I care about. And, <laughs> I and get this, if, if but... I can make a more of a nuanced take, I love when younger kids are into this because it means they're mm-hmm. like, dude, I love it when kids love light horror. Means they're gonna get into cool horror soon. Mystery Incorporated is a solid, solid cartoon. It's the last version of Scooby Doo. Mm. They have a arc where characters grow and change, and they. Uh, master mystery to solve throughout the series. It's a solid recommend for me. Yeah. Um, so, so walking into oh god, a, a live action Scooby Doo movie. Uh, just these all suck. Live action cartoon <laughs> movies all suck. This one, I have to give some credit, and I'm going to put it pretty much all on James Gunn. Yeah. First James, of all, I do not know how he got this writer's gig. His neither. previous movie was The Specials with Thomas Hayden Church, Tromeo and about, Juliet, and Tromeo and Juliet before <laughs> what that. The fuck? I, I don't know how he got this gig, but there there is a postmodern edginess to this that apparently had to get toned down quite a bit. Yeah. That it, it was edgier and more of a parody satire. Do you, you know, know what it was originally rated by the MPAA? No. No. R? R. What? The original Ooh. cut of this film was given an R. They had to make a whole lot of changes and they had to digitally remove a lot of cleavage in this film and i am not making that up oh and, and oh yes i remember God. reading that because it, the original script was like very clear about marijuana use right very clear and yeah. and there's still there's plenty i mean yeah. shaggy's love interest is named mary jane yeah <laughs> is this the start of hannah barbera making fun of itself you know um, we're almost in the cartoon network phase of uh 
Harvey Birdman. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, I guess we're right around. No, right no, around no. Here. We're 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 definitely because I think you know Hanna Barbera are not alive, and yeah. uh, because of Ted Turner's acquisition, wanting to create an entire network of cartoons, he acquires Hanna Barbera. We'll talk about it in the next segment, and they they're finding a way to repackage the IP that they own, even though these shows are becoming obviously less popular. And this a big budget film is a great way to do that. And this is surprising. Here, here's what here's how not a good Scooby Doo fan I was. I remember I would wake up every day, like summer of like '86, so I could watch Scooby Doo at six in the morning. But I had to get up early because that was the only times they would play episodes with my favorite character, Scrappy Doo. Which oh, it was you. People who love Scooby Doo hate was popular. I want to point this Scooby out for power. the record, people. <laughs> Scrappy Doo was brought on, and when he was initially brought on, ratings improved dramatically. He was a popular character. Mm-hmm. He only became hated in retrospect. At his premiere, he was popular and may have saved the franchise. Man, it's like, it's like Robin. Well, then it should have died. <laughs> then it should well, that, and have that's, that's the died. Do you know how many TV shows Scooby-Doo has had? Oh, oh God. I can't even it's imagine. unbelievable. I, unbelievable. 13 separate TV shows. Wow. Fuck. And two more are on the way. And then... And it, Lord! And just, but like, why? I mean, really is just because familiarity. It's a eternal green property. It's a 53-year-old IP. It's a merchandising juggernaut. And every generation of kids can be like, have their first version of Scooby-Doo. And it works for them. I am am so shocked by its longevity because literally, I think we can say now, no other Hanna-Barbera product has shown this kind of withstandability. No, no, not even no, Flintstones. Not even no. Flintstones. Nothing. No. Um, not even Tom and Jerry. And it, one of the things that bums me out about all these soulless corporate acquisitions, the Hanna Barbera name hasn't been attached to this for, I think, a majority of its lifetime now, hmm. because of how yeah. long it's hasn't been Hanna Barbera. It's been Warner Brothers. This is a Warner Brothers film. The last cartoons are all Warner Brothers animation. But I'm I, just, I brought like it up said, to I, say that the uh, only reason I saw this movie. It's because I mm-hmm. found out about the Scrappy Doo reveal. I'm like, that's fucking brilliant, and I will yeah. go see this movie because of that. And that's another change. Mm-hmm. Originally, the villain was not going to be Scrappy Doo. It was going to be Old Man Smithers from the start of the film. It starts mid media's res, and it was going to be the same villain just doing the same thing for a second time, which I honestly thought would be funny. Yeah. No, I don't think it's especially good. I no. I think. Some people are doing a great job. I have to give Matthew Lillard totally, so much credit. Totally. He's, he's great. Linda Cardellini is wonderful. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Yeller, they're fine. Meh. They're, they're, not it's, it's, they're, they're, they're fine. They're, they tend to get blown off the screen by whoever they're with on, on this one. And, but they, and they, are, they are playing the boring characters of Scooby-Doo. Yeah. The least interesting characters. Yeah. And the plot, such as it is, is, you know, they... The, the Ministry Incorporated had a falling out. Now they have to get back together because there's a spooky island where they're brainwashing teenagers. Although they're brought to the island by Rowan Atkinson, who tells them, I think these teenagers are being brainwashed. That turns out it was him. So, like, why did you bring them here? And I forget. Because they wanted to, like, capture the mystery team as well. Right. And there's a couple MacGuffins made out of magic that make mm. people, like, change bodies a couple times and what, <sighs> whatever. The, yeah. the, the here and there edgier satirical jokes like is the only thing that makes me go like yeah i can watch this i can't recommend it i don't think it's especially they should have gone full brady bunch the movie if they were going to make a live action but they're not 
They're yeah. not. They're, this is for people who remember Scooby-Doo and want a little satire, but not too much satire. That's yeah. what this film is for. In, in its defense, I'm going to say this has some of the most amazing sets for the time. Yeah. I mean, oh, this is yeah. the mm. pre-digital set. And Old Man Yells at Cloud, there's something to be having actors on a physical set that looks like what they're doing instead of you're on a green box. It's yeah. amazing. I, I, I was just watching the fucking Sonic 2 movie and just like, man, you can't bring James Marsden to a beach. That looks like shit. Like, <laughs> this is clearly not real. It's just a beach. What the fuck are you doing? This is in L.A. <laughs> yeah. I... I have vague recollections of the second Scooby-Doo movie of being better. I, I'm interested to see when we get to it in two years' time. Uh, don't peek ahead, listeners. That's not allowed. <laughs> I, uh, I I will t- nerdy bone. I will pick is uh, not no Frank Welker, but he is a voice in the film. But <laughs> Frank Welker is kind of the only guy who has been doing Scooby. It's I believe he doesn't want to do much of anything else but Scooby-Doo. He has been he was Fred from the beginning. And started doing Scooby-Doo when Don Messick died and did him as recently as the Scoob movie. Frank Welker, one of the best living voice actors that we have. And yep. damn, I wanted to, somebody needs to get him on a podcast, but he won't do one. But yeah, Frank Welker is in the movie somewhere. You might not know this, Diana, but uh, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers announced Multiverses, a Smash Brothers of Warner Brothers IP featuring, you know, a violent Iron Giant, Steven oh. Universe, Bugs Bunny, and oh. Shaggy. And Matthew mm. Lillard re- has returned to voice Shaggy because mm. he is very good as, as Shaggy. Very, very good. <laughs> I was kind of like, I thought it was okay. Well, I mean, he looks the, the look is good. And just, yeah, I know he's popped up here and there since then, you know, doing Shaggy like on uh, Robot Chicken and whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, they always bring him in. It's like, yeah. No, he, he loves the character. It. The people, he the people it. who play these characters somehow he deserve to take over. Yeah. Yeah. Love them. Love them. Scooby Doo. This is a surprising success. Good for good for you, Scooby-Doo yeah. fans. And now it has like a the millennial space jam enjoyment, which, you know, I'm happy for you. I just don't share it. But I did see, did you see that meme that was going around? It was like a, you know, on-set photograph of like Geller, Prinz, Matthew Lillard, and uh, Cardellini. And it's just somebody writing like, your brain makes you wonder who's missing from this photograph. And then you realize Scooby-Doo isn't real. And, and, <laughs> yeah. Well, it used to be real. Um. <laughs> it's real in our eyes. Yeah. It's, Make it, it, an animatronic Scooby-Doo if you do a live action. Just go on full-on puppetry, just the whole I, nine yard. I, I remember groaning hearing, like, that Scooby-Doo will be all CG, but it's like, how do you do that character? You can't have Matthew Liller hold a 7,000-pound animatronic when Scooby gets scared and jumps into his arms. Like, no, it's got to be CG. For 2002... And at the end of the year, we'll talk about what people always point to as being like, no, that's the first real CGI character. We've had CGI <laughs> characters, but this one, it's a real performance. Like, considering where we are on CG, I think yeah, I, I, I would prefer not to have it that way, but it's fine. Uh, I don't I don't love it, but it's you're right. It's surprising. And it is it is at least an all animated performance. Yeah. It's something that animators did and it's cartoony and it works. Uh, I just hate his eyes. And yeah. <laughs> so boy. yeah, just just go with Scooby Doo. Well, he's pre Gollum. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Cost less than Wind Talkers, 
made three times as much. Um, <laughs> so this is a pretty Aye. substantial success. Uh, people went to go see this. <laughs> Way more than Bored Identity. Just had to say it one more time. Moving into 2002, oh, it, right into... We just... What we just said about, oh, it's not good news if your show's starting right now. Yeah, a cultural mm-hmm. phenomenon For that reality cannot be denied. shows, summer is actually a great time to start. Yeah, uh, American Idol debuts on Fox. And, dude, I, when listening to, like, interviews with dead comedians, you end up on a lot of, like, FM shows. This was daily conversation more so than, like, fucking sports on radio. Mm-hmm. The I, whole I world was talking about this. Took me... I don't know why it took me 20 years to realize this, but reality television shows are essentially like sporting yeah. events. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Bulls versus Blazer game we talked about in the last segment was watched by tens of millions of people at the time, but I would doubt even 500 people have rewatched it this year. You know, it exists in the moment. And I think that's the niche for reality yeah, television. It is. It's you, you don't go back and revisit this. It's a sporting event. You watch it as it goes, and once it's gone, it's gone. That's why, like, watching yeah. the Oscars, you have something to cheer for, something to root for, unexpectedness around every turn. And it, it, it like the MTV Movie Awards 10 years ago, it's voted on by the public. This is such a phenomenon. Everybody involved got lucrative deals of some kind, including the guy who didn't make the initial cut. William Hung. <laughs> Remember how famous that guy was for losing in the beginning, for being yeah. bad at the thing. And well, I, that's I. I you kind of have to separate later seasons once American Idol is a thing. Oh, is that not because the first season? The, at the no, very, that's okay. not the first season. No, the first season they had to like really try to get people to try out. They were like going to malls, giving away free Cinnabons if you try out. Oh, right. Uh, Before like people started coming to them. Right. Yeah. People Um, don't know what this is. And you have to go, yeah, city by city and get a lot of people so you can, you know, gradually winnow them down and winnow them down and then the public can vote and winnow them down one one time. See, I thought you were going to talk about even Brian Dunkelman got something because they used to have two hosts, Ryan Seacrest. And Brian, I Dunkelman. remember reading a thing of that. That guy's like, eh, I don't want to be, I have other aspirations. And it's like, oh my God, Ryan Seacrest won't walk away from this money now. It's too big. Because Th- there was a little, what, like brunette guy standing next to Ryan Seacrest. Yeah. And exactly, because he... it's based on Pop Idol in the UK yeah. where they had two hosts. I know, and, and, and now the all, the, all the rip-off talent shows only have one host because that dude left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he walked away from so you much money. You didn't need Brian Dunkelman. But I really think it was the banter between Paula Abdul and Simon that really cemented this in popular culture. Yeah. Uh, Paula Abdul quit eight times on her <laughs> first day. She thought <laughs> Simon was just far, far too mean. And I can get that. But Simon was perfectly willing to expose the ageism, the looksism, the bodyism of the music industry, everything not related to a voice. He was perfectly willing to say, no, you're not going to be a pop star because you're too old, even though your voice is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And Paula Abdul had a lot of pushback against that. It doesn't mean that Simon was wrong, but there was that conflict between the two of them that uh, I think a lot of watchers uh, really tuned in to see that, especially in the first season when they were expecting 100,000 votes, because this is 2002. In order to vote, you had to actually call in. Yep. <laughs> in the end, they got 9 million votes. Wow. Yeah. And at their height, at the height of American Idol, 40 million votes. 
I want you to think of that. That's, that's you know, about how many people vote for the Democrats or vote for the that, Republicans. That, that is the number of people. That is more than, more than half of votes that each presidential candidate got in the last election, the most voted on election in America's yeah. history. But in 2002, I, I think it would, I think if it was like a third party candidate, it might have won. <laughs> what, what I find fascinating is, I don't know, it's, 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 it's kind of, I'm a, I'm a growing, a budding, snide, <laughs> cynical uh, snob. The most famous person they could get was Paula Abdul, whose music career was over. She mm -hmm. has been relevant for 20 years now because of American Idol bringing her back and everyone else who replaces her is so fucking famous. I can't, what Katy Perry, Jennifer Lopez are going to judge this. It was because Paula... you're getting in front of 50 million. No, people? I, I know. I'm just saying, but like Randy Jackson was the third guy. Nobody in the world knew who that guy was. He was very important yep. in the music industry, but nobody knew who he was. Now you, everyone knows who the American Idol hosts are <laughs> because yeah. they're so fucking mega famous. It's just, yeah. it's, I, I find the whole thing so such evil genius yeah. it's it's really one giant market test for a singer where they have all this time to wow. say which one of these singers do you like yeah. what kind of music do you like hearing them sing and they weed it down until they find which is the most popular combination of those things wow. and they, then the album comes out they have monetized it, their focus testing they yeah. monetize their focus testing, wow. and it's also like the whole thing is basically an advertisement leading up to an album. It was it's it was such genius. a commercial juggernaut. Do you remember the news story where like Coca Cola has outbid Pepsi to be the cups on the <laughs> <laughs> the cups on the host table? It's crazy. Uh, but for the people involved trying out, there was always this bit of a bittersweet thing because you were usually only brought on at the very, very beginning, if you were really good or really bad. Yeah. And the really bad people didn't really seem to know that they were really bad. Yeah. It was like, you're really not good at this, and you're that far in denial that even though you know they bring on people to be bad, oh you think you're one of the good ones. It's, Ooh, this is yeah. not going to be It's That's one of the reasons why I hated the show and wouldn't watch it. I had an ex-girlfriend who dragged me to like one of those modeling tryout expos, hey. and I just saw like you know all these like old just Not women modeled. well just women crying like outside in the hallway because somebody simon cowled them that, that's my memory of going to one of those things it was fucking awful but just to be validated with a program you can't even afford to pay for anyway yeah. uh, american idol is huge and i even i forgot the first winners kelly clarkson and i think people were like this show can't make anyone famous. And like, oh, all right. Oh, it did. Whoops. So my biggest American Idol memory is not actually the show. Mm -hmm. It's the PS2 American Idol karaoke game. Oh, boy. And <laughs> Simon was so mean to me, guys. I mean, he really hated me. Please look up. I even put it on my YouTube channel as a tribute to Whitney Houston when she died. The American Idol Game Boy game, which uses the, the buttons of B and A to time your voice <laughs> in it and you can make some really bad poor sounding music with pop hits such as uh, i'm gonna dance with somebody that sound fucking hilarious it's one see, of the, the 
<laughs> the PS2 one had an actual microphone you stuck yeah. into it. No, it was, I would have parties and everyone would compete and you'd sing and it would, you know, track how close you are to being on tune. It would give you like a little wiggle to show you if you were in tune or not. And uh, I learned I can't carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> uh, American Idol, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just an instant phenomenon. And I love that. Yeah. So much of an instant phenomenon, Fox canceled it. Like, eh, it's not doing its ratings. And then ABC picked it up like a year later, and it's doing fine. It's still on TV. Um, yep. And it, here's what I was watching, speaking of cartoons. Mission Hill's unaired uh, episodes run for the first time in Adult Swim. Adult Swim became this safe haven for canceled UPN and WB animation projects, which at the time, Cartoon Network could never in their wildest dreams afford to put on the air. Real big budget animated program, so we all were delighted to watch 13 episodes of Baby Blues and Mission Hill for years to come yeah. on Cartoon Network. But there was no hope that Adult Swim was going to pick this show up for new episodes mm -hmm. uh, because the average cost of a Mission Hill episode was $1.3 million, and right. Adult Swim could get five episodes of Aqua Teen Hunger Force for that same price. <laughs> I, I, I remember the Venture Brothers second season open with that Everybody's Free to Feel Good song, and they're like, that was like half our season's budget. <laughs> Just getting that song in there. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I can but, never do this. I didn't, I didn't even know this was coming up, but I, I recently repurchased my mission oh, nice. because it's a solid I, solid show i mean andy yeah. there's nothing like it a perfect capturing of the post early 90s slacker mm -hmm. left behind by the dot-com boom you know mm. he he's really the character you'd see in a 1993 comedy but by 1999 he was just out of place but he hadn't progressed as a human being and the show really started to show you that he had the possibility of progressing because it was like they planned like eight seasons and the very ending oh was going to be yeah. uh, created with... by Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein, like right off of their amazing show running tenure on the Simpsons. Mm -hmm. So they were thinking, Hey, may, let's plan this as if it's another Simpsons. And, and it and, wasn't. And you get like, I, I always kind of refer to it as like hipster King of the Hill. Like there's yeah, not, there's not always a great reason for this to be animated, but the animation is wonderful. The art style is wonderful. The color palette is unlike anything else I've yeah. ever seen. Uh, I love and uh, Josh Weinstein says that Mission Hill had the first gay yep. male on male kiss, but no one cares because no one was watching the show. Yep. Uh, just Tom Kinney and they're like because they're like old guys it's great yeah, it's it's a very Barry Bear guy and mm -hmm. a kind of uh, Tweedle-ish guy and uh, they're middle aged and they're gay and it's presented as no big deal in 1999 Sorry, no. uh, the final anecdote I want to say about Mission Hill mm -hmm. is that the creators were told to make a two minute promo for advertisers and they thought it didn't matter so they in their own words did a bad job made a sucky promo and then the network based their faith on the show on that sucky promo so they didn't have any faith in the show and they fucked with it and it was quickly canceled because it got fucked with yep. and goes to show you never half ass always yep. give it your full ass it's and, and i there has to be some way in the streaming world we're dealing with now there's almost no way this doesn't get resurrected somewhere 
Um, you think? It's I, I think I think it I would. So. It would if it's it wasn't. I'm asked. looking in the back. It's Warner Brothers, and they have too much shit. But if this is a Paramount property, oh man, I bet it would right up there with restoring music videos to Beavis and Butthead. That is their priority. And, and that I, I can get fine. Me actually. too. But uh, but I'm saying like that's how little they have to work with. That they have wow. to do that. I'm a big cartoon lover, and there is nothing I love more because I don't know if this has ever happened. Has a real person gotten their own show after they're dead? No, this is this is as far as I can tell the only instance of it. Uh, Ted Turner's making cable channels wants to make uh, and kind of sees the future of these cable channel is owning this content. So he starts buying up content and buys Hanna Barbera, this ragtag studio that's been making uh, things things much worse than the Flintstones. <laughs> Roman holiday uh, for a long time buys up their whole the make Cartoon Network also buys up MGM's library when Cartoon Network first starts there's no original programming it is all old shit and they found I as a lover of short form animation they had so many phenomenal shows that repackaged the golden age of animation in these new ways. So there was a Bob Clampett show on Cartoon Network and the Tex Avery show ends this week, which is the best because Tex Avery, one of Bugs Bunny's creators, was lured away in, in his prime by MGM. Warner Brothers has been very good with preserving and keeping its content in the eyes of the public. MGM has not been. So lots of Tex Avery's work is lost, even though it is the most violent expensive when people do parodies of old cartoons they're doing parodies of tex avery mgm stuff Dy mm -hmm. dynamite and people getting hit with mallets and axes i bought a tex avery collection from <laughs> korea hitler appears in like every cartoon he, <laughs> hey the film the mask comma all yeah jessica rabbit is based on a tex avery design droopy uh you remember the you remember those what was it? The bird and the cat who are drinking the growth hormone until they become the size of the entire world. Those cartoons didn't get the showcase that Bugs and the Warner Brothers stuff did until all this syndication and Ted Turner buying up MGM's cartoons. They are, as of right now, finally releasing Tex Avery's MGM work on home video, which has not been done in anything close to a complete form to this day and releases for the Warner Brothers archive. So I just wanted to shout out the Tex Avery show because it was fucking amazing to be able to see these cartoons on TV for a hundred episodes on a regular basis for a man who didn't live to see him get a TV show with his name on it. Right. Cause here's something, none of us should have anything. I tried to watch this show because it, but this is the dawn of USA making its own uh, original programming, which it had sort of struggled with made real cheap stuff like bad episodes of Airwolf and Swamp Thing. And then out of nowhere, because I haven't watched the USA Network in like 25 years, it resurrects a Christopher Walken movie, Stephen King property, and puts Anthony Michael Hall in it. The Dead Zone premieres on USA, and it is the highest rated USA show ever, and I think sort of changes what the USA Network would become, which is sort of like the most network of the cable channels what yeah what's your identity yeah. like everything yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> whatever's had... popular well their old their old identity was a movie we're going to talk about next week oh mm. oh mm. yeah. steward of school <laughs> ski school oh, close. you're not far off ski school too yeah. the best ski school movie i feel like they they really zoned in on something that's like it's a week-to-week -week procedural that also have longer running storylines going through them, but you don't need to watch every episode to be able to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great you point. Know? And yeah, the, the dead zone is 
generally, you know, a, a week-to-week procedural. You know, this guy, he's in an accident. Now he can see little glimpses of the past and the future, and he uses it to solve crimes. I never I'm... knew what it was, but um, Christopher Walken was on Saturday Night Live, and there's like two sketches about his Dead Zone performance. Yeah. And that's what Anthony Michael, Anthony Michael <laughs> is doing a much more serious version of that. So it's also based on the Stephen King book. Yeah. And the in the first 15 minutes of the show, the protagonist, we see Johnny as a tr- child, then driving a car, then with his girlfriend, who becomes his fiance, then a school teacher, and then in a car where he has an accident, has a coma, and then he wakes up. And that's the first hundred pages of the novel. So <laughs> they were willing to get this novel just out of the way pretty darn quickly. It's it's a really creepy concept. It's classic Stephen King. He had the idea of what if a guy has a vision that a politician is going to start a nuclear war? And it's a real vision. And he knows for sure that if this politician gets elected, he's going to start a nuclear war and kill us all. Except his vision is real. But don't all the crazy people think their vision is real? Mm-hmm. So that's classic creepy king and it's it's a it's a fascinating subject that but i think you got to handle it pretty deftly uh, to give you an idea of how 2002 this tv show was it had a website where you could write the cast Whoa, wow neat. yeah yeah that's a terrible idea <laughs> <laughs> dear woman or person of color I don't do that. Show it's one of those where it's like I, I catch half an episode here and there and be like, well, yeah, I didn't like it. Not bad. I, I didn't like it, but like originally it was made for like UPN, and then they rejected it, and uh, USA grabbed it and threw some extra yeah, money at it. I was excited just because there wasn't a lot of like genre work, and Stephen King adaptations were still the domain of films and yeah. at TV movies at best. So no one, I was excited to see it. I just thought it was kind of dull because you know HBO was really on a different vibe at this point this is the sopranos and the wire is your competition at this point yeah yeah Yeah. in some light sports news stanley cup we got the stanley cup the detroit red wings beat the carolina hurricane i went to my first hockey game ever last night oh jesus the avalanches avalanchers i'm really not sure the the hurricane plural are you all hurricanes (laughs) this one is just an avalanche too yeah the Colorado Avalanche just made the uh, playoffs last night, and we went to the stadium for an away game. And what that is, is it cost $10 to get in, wow. when if it was a real game, it would cost 1000 And then you watch it on the big jumbo screen that's in the stadium, oh, what? and you get like 80% of the thrill of a live game because the stadium was sold out for $10. Everyone was there uh, watching the game, cheering, erupting. They had little halftime shows or whatever it's called in ice hockey. And I would say 80% of the experience we got, even though it was all on the jumbo screen. A watch party at the stadium. Exactly. It's a watch party in the stadium. Yeah, That is a great idea. I mean, I think they do that for most finals matches in, in towns. I don't know. Usually it was like, like oh, that's an away game. Uh, I guess we'll have to watch it at a bar. I mean, if anybody should know, it's the the, the, the host from L.A. You're always the championships. <laughs> yeah, but I don't follow L.A. Me neither. So. Well, you won't know that the L.A. Lakers perform a three-peat by beating the New Jersey oh, yeah. Nets. Most valuable player is Shaq for the third year in a row. And the only sports news I care about, the last NBA on NBC, because that's my favorite 
theme of all time, other than whatever Chuck Norris movie theme they used in the NASCAR. Yep. So, yeah, the NBA on NBC theme, it, they used it for 11 years, and it's written by John Tesh. Mm-hmm. And there is a fun clip of John Tesh in concert, because he's a musician besides hosting Entertainment Tonight. Thank you. And he thought he had the idea for the theme, and he called himself and left a message on his answering machine, so he <laughs> wouldn't forget it. Is this the, the message? Yep. Uh, this is a message for me about the NBA theme. Here's an idea. It goes like this. <laughs> By the way, this clip is him playing it off a tape recorder at a live concert. Yeah. And, and the way he's dressed. It, sorry, I, there's an SNL sketch with uh, Tim Robinson of I Think You Should Leave in Ugly Sonic fame. He's playing, uh, Jason Sudeikis is playing John Tesh and he's playing his brother and they're both the writer of the basketball theme dressed exactly like John Tesh in this clip down to the goatee performing the original lyrics of the song, which just go like, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, basketball, ba-ba-ba-ba, basketball. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, it's a great unsung SNL sketch. I just love that professional musicians uh, sound out music, basically how I sound out. Yeah. Music. Uh, and moving on to video games of 2002. My God, it's been a big segment. Outlaw Golf on Xbox. Once again, very few games with David Tell in it. Steve Carell's yeah. pre-office career is hilarious. I don't know if you can find it on YouTube, but he used to host infomercials for <laughs> America's Funniest Home Videos, Home Videos. Wow! Like before he was, but he Steve Carell is the announcer in the game, the Xbox exclusive Outlaw Golf. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the scenic Turnpike Valley Country Club. Trixie has been playing golf at private clubs ever since she was a wee little snob. Dumb as a ball washer and ruder than a slicing drive, Trixie's handicap is her mouth. This game is embarrassing for a lot of reasons. <laughs> Golf is a calm but challenging sport, and what it has always been missing is 2002 breast. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That was also an Xbox exclusive, if you remember those Dead or Alive commercials. Mega Man Battle Network 2 is out on GBA. Fuck those games. I know this is shocking. It's pretty much the exact same oh, yes. as Mega Man Battle Network 1. Lilo and Stitch, Trouble in Paradise on PS1, uh, Nicktoons Racing on GBA, Never Winter Nights on Windows, and the most... Surprisingly resilient franchise in all gaming. House of the Dead is here with Pinball of the Dead for Game Boy. What? Yeah. What? Pinball of the Dead. It's pinball and you kill zombies. And I think that's a cool concept if you like pinball. They have... and... I love pinball. Do you kill the zombies with the ball? Do you have to you, like... you kill the zombies with the ball. Yeah. Why has no one given me this before? I will talk to I will talk to your Video Game Apocalypse, Mr. Renegade with Michael Warpower. Real quick on Neverwinter Nights. Dungeons and Dragons has influenced the video game mark hugely, remarkably, but it's never been that huge as a video game brand mm-hmm. and Neverwinter Nights is probably its most successful and famous game. It's a large city in the Forgotten Realms. It's about a plague ravishing the city and it's up to you to save the day. Um, there's not really interesting characters on the level of the Baldur's Gate series and visually it kind of looks terrible because it's 2002 graphics. But yeah, yeah, probably the most popular D&D game on uh any video game system. Let's close out the segment. A little round ball rock from our man Tesh. Again, he it's, was. It's technical name. Yeah. It is, its name is round ball rock. It is not just the NBA on NBC. 
theme song. I forget. God he, damn, it's such a good theme song, especially for basketball. I can't tell you why, but it, it, this music says to me basketball. It does yeah. not say baseball. It does not say football. I love it. And I, it, it's one of my favorite Conan memories. He was such a great Conan guest because almost <laughs> every time he's like, we got a clip of uh, your new music video and it would just be Lurch from the Adams Family. like. <laughs> Uh, and he would always get pissed and um, they had him on for a Thanksgiving show and they made him play this on the guitar in a pen filled with turkeys. I miss old talk shows. Johnny Tash will take us out with a round ball rock. Stay right there. We got one more segment to go and one of the most reprehensible films I've seen in a very long time. Stay there. internet and all the ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and for the week of june 10th through 16th let's start with something worth a listening to before we get to whatever the amazing movie from 82 is this week from 1972 turning 50 this week 30 years before the last david bowie album we talked about this week marks the 50th anniversary of the rise and fall of ziggy stardust and the spiders from mars an absolutely essential david bowie album not my favorite David Bowie album. Probably second, honestly. You know, a lot of people in the station to station. Whatever. Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Fucking amazing album. It's got Starman on there. Got the title song. Suffragette City, which is a song so good, like, it makes me angry. Like, why can't every song be more like Suffragette City? Plus Rock and Roll Suicide. Super great album. Fast album. One you can just listen to over and over and over and over again. And Lord knows I have. And then, 10 years later, turning 40 this week, it's fucking E.T., man. E.T. the Extraterrestrial comes out this week in 1982, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Melissa Matheson, starring little Henry Thomas, little, little Drew Barrymore, uh, Dee Wallace. We go way, maybe too in-depth on a, a uh, special episode you can listen to for patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. But we really tried to pull apart, like, why does this work so well? Like, there are so many shitty E.T. ripoffs. What did none of them get right that this one gets so perfectly? And to summarize, naturalistic kid performances, feeding on childhood fears, and being told from their point of view. And, it, yeah, it's a movie. It's one of those movies that's like, it's so popular, you just sort of write it off. It's like, oh, yeah, everyone knows E.T. If you go back and just watch it and really pay attention to what it's doing, you realize, oh, this this is a freaking masterpiece. So yeah, E.T., turn in 40 this week. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. If I was your boyfriend, never let you go. Coming in 2012 with Boyfriend 
off of uh, Believe by Justin Belieber. Justin, the Beebs, the Beebs. Yep. The follow-up album, Can He Make It? Yes. yes he Will we continue talking about Justin Bieber? Tune in to the show to find out. <laughs> Welcome to 2012, June 10th to the 16th. Uh, other new music releases include Clockwork Angels by Rush, Punching Bag by Josh Turner, Synthetica by Metric, At Heart by Miss May I, Go by Motion City Soundtrack, uh, A Million Lights by Cheryl Cole, and uh, The Lord of Steel by Man of War. Somebody that I used to know by Godier is still number one. Um, a little bit of news of twenty to bring in the world of 2012. The Nobel Prize is reduced by 20%. Like the the money? The actual money you got for winning the Nobel Prize was reduced by 20%. So, so back when the Nobel Prize was founded, its original endowment was about $212 million in today's money. And they just put that and they started investing it. And they've used that ever since to be like, okay, here's this year's cast prize based on the interest. It wasn't doing as well as they had projected. So they went, okay, we've got to do a pay cut for Nobel Prize winners. And everyone uh, but, in the world just, well, that's me. I'm not helping anyone. Uh, yeah. I'm, <laughs> no peace for you. Yeah, Obama's not going to show price. up now. Well, uh, not sh- money. Don't show up for uh, uh, less than a million. Sorry. No. <laughs> sure. But uh, two interesting facts that I learned about researching this is you cannot be awarded the Nobel Prize posthumously. You mm. have to be alive. Yep. And all nominations remain secret for 50 years. So wow. we only recently found out who nominated MLK. So Wow. Also this week, yeah, yeah. the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico votes on if it wants to remain a territory. 61% vote for statehood? Yeah. So did yeah, they... they had the option of stay the same, become a state, become an independent nation, and sixty-one percent voted for statehood. They still came about five percent for independence. Mm. Yeah, and we federally went. That's nice. <laughs> That's cute. Thanks. There was nothing, almost nothing, funnier about the Trump era when that hurricane happened. Definitely wasn't funny, and the reaction treatment wasn't funny. But that the president of the United States clearly didn't know he was president of Puerto Rico. He hadn't. What am I supposed to do about it? And like, oh my God, he doesn't know. Nobody told him. No, <laughs> nobody yeah. told him. No, that's great. No, that's two terrible memories of the Trump presidency that's brought up because <laughs> him in the room with the code talkers and the only thing he can think of to talk about is uh, Elizabeth Warren, I call her Pocahontas, where he has <sighs> actual fucking veterans. I mean, the fact that he didn't greet them with how, I guess I'll give him half credit for that. <laughs> but yeah, him throwing paper towels at people while they're islands underwater yeah baby like their t-shirts yeah. at a sports game also this week 10 years ago in the news an australian coroner's report rules that a dingo was responsible for the death of a baby in 1980 okay wow. researching this is so dark okay oh, you the, yes yes the, the it's like a comedic catchphrase that i've heard my entire life a dingo ate your baby it's on seinfeld Thanks a lot a of lane of- it's a, a lot of things, and you're basically saying your baby was ripped apart by wild wolves. That yeah. is what the expression "a dingo ate your baby" means. Yeah, when you okay. see yeah. when you see it, it in the movie, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a real case. Zaria Chamberlain was a, a mm. tiny baby, and yeah, we talked about a cry in the dark, uh, oh, the dark. film about it based on, with uh, Meryl oh, Streep, and yeah, the idea was like, well, your two options are a wild dog came and ripped this baby to shreds and dragged it off by the head. Or this woman slashed her kid's throat in front of one of her other kids, I guess, and got blood everywhere and then blamed a dingo. And she went to prison. 
yeah. and eventually like was exonerated because they're like dingoes yeah. she, don't she do spent... that and it's like yeah they do they're kind of like mean coyotes <laughs> she spent three years in jail wow. for a crime she didn't commit after seeing her own baby ripped apart by wild wolves and at the time there were no documented instances of dingoes attacking humans but in the years since this there have been three very well documented instances so the chances are before this instance people just weren't paying enough attention to dingoes. i was gonna say that the, mm. the documents weren't invented yet in australia no. That's all. <laughs> yeah so good lord so that how long yeah. is that 30 yeah. years 32 years um, oh but God. yeah, yeah. Um, don't use that punchline anymore, comedy writers, please. <laughs> now that I know about it, it's it's, it's <laughs> you know, a dingo yeah. super did eat a baby. Yeah. yeah. All right, moving on to the movies. But dingoes are so cute. Like, I mean, they, they're they're wild dogs, but they kind of look like wild Shiba Inus. Like, they look like they're buddies, but you, you they're know, not your friends. We get a lot of complaints about Diana and her dingo apologism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But I, it's not what we can do to stop it. Uh, movies no, it's have... fucked up. It went into a tent and grabbed a baby and ran off with it. Yeah. <laughs> fucked up. 2012 movies, uh, June 10th to the 16th. Madagascar 3 is still number one at the box office, but we got some new additions, such as Kristen Th- Scott Thomas and Ethan Hawke's The Woman in the Fifth. Yeah, Never this is a Pavel, Pavelkowski movie, which means, oh no, it's directed by a Polish guy. This is going to be sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not he makes some bummer movies cold war and ida are both really really good but uh, this one i didn't get around to watching it i remember reviews at the time then i looked up some more and it's like ethan hawk is like kind of a loser and moves to paris to try to like be near his kid and then he starts having this affair with Kristen scott thomas who only wants to meet him at a certain time and place and then <clears throat> finds out uh in a creepy paris version of why that woman died at the same spot 20 years ago today hmm. and it turns out like maybe she's not real maybe she's a ghost there's weird weird shit is happening it was uh, yeah i heard it was pretty good but and... uh yeah i gotta just throw out the name uh pablo 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 because uh, he's a great filmmaker and more people should check out his shit and we also have mark de Vlas, rosemary dewitt and emily blunt in your sister's sister Speaking of another filmmaker, I'd like more people to check out. It's a Lynn Shelton joint. Yeah. And is I didn't rewatch it. I feel mm. bad, but it's pretty good in that it's super mumblecore. Mm-hmm. It's just about a bunch of white people sitting around having white people problems. With the Duplass in it? Come on. I know, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there's a really great scene in it where the two main characters get drunk together. And you can see them slowly lose their inhibitions and open up and begin to share more and more as they finish a bottle of tequila. But it's well done. Yeah, it's about, you know, someone's like ex-boyfriend's brother. And then, you know, he's so super depressed and he moves into this house, like this, you know, fancy lake house. But then, you know, someone else's relative's sister is at the house. And then there's relationship troubles and people not knowing what to do with their lives and being at cross purposes and lynn shelton is so good at that and it sucks that she's gone yeah yeah uh it died rather suddenly right um, yeah uh cancer yeah. cancer got him she was with mark Marin for about a year before the end and then oh, that was yeah. yeah hit him real bad oh yeah uh oh my god and now for the movie i uh, most now, least want to talk about <laughs> now the movies we have opinions about yeah uh james Kahn, susan sarandon don't get excited uh, Milo <laughs> Ventimiglia? 
Uh, Will Forte, Tony Orlando, Vanilla Ice in too prominent of a role. Leighton Meester, Andy Samberg, and Adam Sandler. No, they're not the same person. It's That's My Boy. Todd, your old man is here. Donnie, what are you doing here? What's have a guy with Mrs. Sean's wedding? You were basically the worst parent ever. I was awesome. You let me eat cake and lollipops for breakfast every day. That's what you asked for. You're supposed to say no. I didn't know what I was doing. I was 13, 14 years old. You know what I remember? Is me having to drive you home because you were too drunk. Somebody's hammered. They have another guy drive home. I was eight. You drove like a champ, too. Huh? Ah, Adam, Adam Sandler movie. But Jeannie, when I said I wanted to lose my virginity at a young age, I didn't mean this young. When I said I wanted to play someone's dad, I didn't mean someone who's 10 years younger than me. Uh, this is a concept for a movie that was disgusting at the time, and boy, has this it is, gotten worse. I, I was shocked. I have... Uh, a weird relationship with Adam Sandler in general. I think he is a funny dude and a great guy and his movies are lazy and largely lazy and terrible. <laughs> even the ones I like. And this is the only Adam Sandler, happy Madison movie with Adam Sandler that is rated R Adam Sandler oh, movies please. still dominate cable because they're very arable on TBS. Uh, they're all PG-13. They may do something gross, but you're not going to get a lot of nudity and you're not going to get a lot of naughty language. And I like offensive humor. I, I fell in love with Adam Sandler and SNL, but I really fell in love with him in a world without internet. He had albums. You couldn't buy SNL episodes, but you could buy Adam Sandler's album. This is a character based on one of his albums. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Well, it, just the characterization, the Boston accent, oh. Uncle, the psychotic legend of Uncle Donnie. You can find it on Stan and Judy's Kid. I still quote it accidentally. I had a few Chardonnays. What of it? Uh, that's for that. Uh, oh, good. Rapping. Adam Sandler's doing an accent and a funny voice. Yeah. Well, sign me up. Drinking fucking Bacardi. But it's like, I like gross-out comedies. I've defended offensive comedies. Like, this is just wildly tasteless and, like, <laughs> racist and offensive and, like, utterly sexist. Like, I, th I think but we're past... not in a good way? I think we're past, <laughs> like, making jokes about, like, a female teacher fucking her student and that, like, ah, go, kid. What, well, live I mean, the South dream. Park made fun of that, what, 10 years before this movie? I mean, that's the... So, it's, one, know, it's nice. one thing to make fun of it. Like, it's the opening of the movie is character Donnie played by an actual 11-year-old, depicted fucking an adult. Like, mm -hmm. to show it. To, to like, shit, to yeah. show it. it, it yeah, played, it's, played by... I, I do enjoy this casting. Played by Ava Amori, Susan Sarandon's daughter. Yes, the reveal so is... is... a family affair for them. Susan Sarandon <laughs> plays it as an adult, and her daughter plays it as a young and the, adult. And the, molesting and, a child. And not even the only time... Susan Sarandon plays Andy no. Samberg's mother in the SNL sketch Mother Lovers. No, with... or or the only time that she plays someone who had sex with a teenager inappropriately. She did that on Thirty Rock, also. Right. <laughs> this... That was hilarious. That was hilarious on the Thirty Rock episode. I remember that being pretty darn funny the way they p portrayed it. But it was, I, this uh, is like a a, a very rare Adam Sandler bomb, like a pretty substantial mm -hmm. one. I think maybe because I can't, I couldn't say with any, I have no facts. It's rated R. It's like, there have been Happy Madison movies rated R. They just typically don't star Adam Sandler. Every one of his movies 
that's rated R is are like uncut gems or like one of the, something else. Somebody else directs. This is from his company. It has that tone. All those recognize Nick Swartzen pops up for no reason, and it's biz- it is bizarre because the language is coarse and it's just like brutally unfunny. And I, I was like, I was. It's always been a curiosity for me. I never checked it out until now, and I, I sort of rolled my eyes at like the Razzies and the critics, just like you're not going to like an Adam Sandler movie. I'm like, no, this is thoroughly unlikable. Like astonishingly unlikable you can and you can see it on tubi for free <laughs> oh there's trouble in paradise between chris and his love of Sandler. and hey let me can i pour some salt in the wound yeah it's written by the guy who created happy endings which i know you like yes yeah, well, there's I mean, a little extra salt initially like the, the script went through blah 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 I'm sure they the whole Sandler factory. Robert Smigel took a pass. Like it, I'm sure Sandberg threw some stuff in there too. Yeah, it's um, it's really offensive, and I could live with some of the offensiveness if it were funny. Yeah, it's just like it's it's so weird. Even in a lazy Adam Sandler comedy, they have a brand or a tone, and they don't seem to know how to deal with the rated R tone of this movie. And it's like none of this needs to be rated R anyway. Why is it like this? It, it like and I'm like oh it's got to be because uh, you know American Pie and like no that was ten years earlier what do they do? <laughs> why is this movie rated R at all and it yeah they don't know mostly, how to... mostly for language just yeah. saying like you know is this like about the time that I woke up and you were going down on my pediatrician in my bed like okay that's a rated R joke you can't say that a PG thirteen yeah I guess yeah. it's just brutally unfunny Su- suggestive dialogue. Um, yeah, and then, you know, let's throw some incest in there for no reason. Right. And, I mean, the whole basic plot, such as it is, is that, yeah, uh, this kid impregnated his teacher when he was a small child because she uh, molested him and was a terrible dad. And his son has moved away and is now marrying fancy people at Cape Cod. And then he shows up and is like, what's up? I need $40,000. I, also, I need a bunch of money or else I'm going to go to jail for back taxes. Good. <laughs> yeah, send him to jail. And his best friend is Vanilla Ice. If we're, if we're fully criticizing it, Adam Sandler's character doesn't succeed because of any of his actions. He succeeds by dumb luck. Because at the very start of the film, he places a $10 bet on a 400-pound man to win the Boston Marathon. And so he avoids going to prison, which is his whole major thing throughout the film. Not because he learned anything, not because he grew as a character, but because a fat guy ran fast. Yeah, And from a tip given to him by like the New Jersey Jets coach? Bizarre bizarre casting, even for an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> yeah, and just the, the usual shitty sitcom things of like, but my boss will be here any minute. It's like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Shut. Why aren't you shutting up? That was me, like, this whole movie. Yeah, like, it is. Please, could there, could there be a joke? And it's like, the best jokes in the movie are just sort of shocks of, like, finding out that he he got his eight-year-old son a full back tattoo of all the new kids on the block. <laughs> and now it's all warped and fucked up because that's why you don't get tattoos when you're eight. But why wouldn't he get that removed? No reason. Just there for the shock of like, <laughs> that shouldn't happen. I, I just was a gog, And I am someone, if you could hold a gun to me right now and I would tell you how much I have liked the Adam Sandler Netflix era of films. I think they've been pretty good. <laughs> This is so bad, so bad and thoroughly irredeemable and unrecommendable that you almost have to see it. But like, it's excruciating. No, 
it hurts me to see people I like in things that are bad. And also just like all these jokes and the tone don't strike me as something Andy Samberg would even do. Cause he's, mm. I think he's a pretty conscious individual. <laughs> it's just, it's such a bizarre film and I hate it way more than I ever expected. It, it, <laughs> I, I've, I've, critics are always harsh on comedies are always harsh on Adam Sandler comedies, but it's all justified here. Holy shit. This movie sucks. Uh, but like in a way we might have to talk about 10 even 10 years from now it's like the next movie sucks but yeah. <laughs> no one's gonna mention no one's gonna this is me segueing. does anybody have anything else on that's my boy no but i think the nice thing about the next movie is there are segments that you could just want to watch on youtube and just right. watch that segment and that's fine there are no sequences and that's my boy that's like well the movie sucks but this scene was good no there's none of that that's a good point i can't think of any like isolate this funny clip and you'll laugh at it i can't think of that scene yeah uh but what a cast look at that brian cranston mary j blige together at last uh (laughs) alan ackerman Catherine zeta jones paul giamatti russell brand alec baldwin Tom Cruise, Diego Bonetta, and Julian Hoff, Hoff, and Rock of Ages. The year was 1987. Rock around forever! The phones were big. Big? Hello, Paul. Paul. The hair was bigger. I told you 10,000 times, girls drink free, dudes pay full freight. They are dudes. On June 15th. I saw Stacey Jacks. The music you loved. This club is totally out of control. The time you remember. This is the greatest night of my life! Rock of Ages in theaters and IMAX. So in the bonus time episode, we talk about movie going as a communal experience. I feel like this is a communal movie that if you want to enjoy this in a full theater of people who all know these songs, who are all sure, into yeah. it, who are willing to, yeah. hey, movie, I know exactly what I'm getting here. That's how you enjoy this movie. Yeah. I, I don't think it's designed to be watched alone. You know, I don't think it's a non-communal film. And it's it's also like, I find it strange, because, you know, I just, like most other people, I finished Stranger Things, and both those Stranger Things and Rock of Ages are nostalgic for the same era, but I am not nostalgic for any of the stuff covered <laughs> in Rock of Age. Don't I, like... I loved all the songs. No. I grew up on this music. I am one hundred percent nostalgic for rock and roll because rock and roll is dying, y'all. You look at the percentage of sales; it is not good. It's been it uh, is it's been dead for a while. Well, I mean, as a lucrative genre of music. It's yeah. boutique. It's been boutique for a couple of years now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Almost a decade. Yeah, that's true. And just, you know, there there is a, a purity in 80s rock and glam and hair metal. That it really is like the topics of the songs are very simple. They're very riff based. It's a lot of fun. And that's what <laughs> that's what grunge was, you know, an answer to of that it's gotten too silly yes. and when rock is supposed to be serious and so yeah all these songs are a lot of fun the framework that they're built around is the exact same one as burlesque that we just fucking talked about it feels like mm. and that's like my biggest complaint about the movie julianne huff is so bad and so annoying i'm sure she's she's a wonderful dancer because that's where she comes out of but it's you know she's a she's a small town girl living in a lonely world she <laughs> takes the midnight bus to los angeles and <laughs> i think train would work better mm. train you say mm. 
and you know and, and she's got stars in her eyes and then she starts working at this club and rock song rock song rock song then we got a a rock star who's kind of like an 80s jim morrison sort of thing yeah going yeah and and then and there's a reporter and there's also like the mayor's wife wants to shut them down and damn those rock clubs and you know and then everything resolves and there's just a fuck ton of musical numbers in between and a lot of it is just like it's fine whatever like individual numbers are pretty good tom cruise is super convincing as a rock star yes. he is a breakout performance in this. yeah it is kind of shocking when he first shows up you're like oh no this is gonna be so dumb and when he first showed up i was tom like cruise. he's gonna be in this for like a minute and it's just going to be a cameo. But no, he's a main character. Yeah. yeah. And, and you were thinking he was going to be Magnolia E. Yeah. Well, because he's Tom Cruise, he could only do things 100%. Yeah. And so he worked really hard. He sings fucking great. And he looks like a rock star. The number of things that Tom Cruise has become really good at is scary. He yes. is a yeah. super high performing individual on a scary level, honestly. Yeah. Um, I enjoy yeah, his so... sleight of hand in the Mission Impossible movies. Uh, he's honestly, how to do that which too. is good. At, he's what what good I at. would like to do is to have a karaoke party around this film yeah. where everyone has a song. And when it comes up, you have a microphone and you sing along over the music of the movie itself. I think I, be I believe that. I mean, it's based on a play where like that was mm -hmm. essentially what you did. It's, yeah. it's a jukebox musical. Yeah. It's let's have a, you know, a bunch of hair metal hits and we string and we come up with a storyline so that we can hit each song. Yeah. A sing along version of this would be way more fun because I, well, because the talking scenes are who cares? Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> like the talking cares? scenes in the Buffy musical. You're just really waiting for the next number. Yeah. The, yeah, the plot is stupid, and the dialogue is stupid, and there's a lot of stupid. And you just want him to get to a number, and then the number's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's, it's of course, set in the craziest bar of all time. Everyone's always going nuts over this bar, and the bar is the center of all culture in the area, and it's super important that they mm -hmm. save the bar. Although, honestly, the, the bar does kind of remind me of the one and only one time I have ever been wild and crazy at a bar. Ooh. Yeah. Was you this in tell. the 80s was as it well? At not the Whiskey A Go Go? Because that's uh, really what this should be called. It was not at the Whiskey A Go Go. It was at a bar in Portland. I'm really not a crazy bar guy. I don't actually like bars. I don't very attend them very much. I was uh, young and single, and uh, me and my friend were there, and we just been rock climbing all day out in the wild, uh, doing a lot of things. And at this bar, there were two support beams that were perfectly placed for me to climb up them. Ah. So using my mad rock climbing skills, I, I began to God. climb up the wall of the bar <laughs> support beams, you know, like you do when you're a little kid, hands on mm -hmm. one end, feet on the other. And I got about halfway up when I start getting wet. And I look down and the bartender is spraying me with her little beer gun. <laughs> You know, and yelling at me to come down. And then the biggest bouncer I've ever seen is making a beeline for me. Mm -hmm. And that's when I quickly rappel down and I signal I'm out of here. And me and my friend bust for the door and get out. I'll see myself. Um, so that's the craziest thing I've ever done in any bar. <laughs> Uh, the craziest thing I've ever done in any bar is recommend Rock of Ages. No, uh, but, but no, I, I, the craziest thing I've if, ever done in a bar. Oh, I got 
really in a guy's face once at a pub. That was that was pretty cool. That's the one time my American accent really was was used to my fullest advantage. Ooh, I was I was nice. in yeah I w- I was in England and this guy kept bothering me and my friends and he wouldn't go away. Kept asking him to go away. Cast and finally I got right up in his face because we were about the same height and i really started going like if you don't fucking leave my fucking friends alone i will kick your ass i swear to fucking god right now and i think i triggered something in his brain from movies that says american plus angry equals gun and he just skedaddled damn <laughs> diana cool. Badman on display yeah i was like that's the most badass moment like of my life like oh dude that worked <laughs> Because I, I am a tiny noodle-armed woman. I cannot back any of this up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, this film, you know, no music genre is popular forever. Uh, rock and roll honestly had a very long run by historical standards. Oh, yeah. And if you're looking for a pure celebration of it, Almost I don't know famous. what else you go with. I know. I'm just annoyed how many shitty reviews I saw that were like, this is the best musical in 20 years. And it's like, first of all, Catherine Zeta-Jones is there. So you are wrong. Yeah, yeah, she had a pretty good one. <laughs> but I mean, I, Moulin Rouge is better than this too, and it's the same thing. Where it's it's a jukebox musical. Yeah, we'll I think stop it. it's just the, it, I have such an odd association with hair metal because the only time I hear it is just when I'm in the outskirts of Florida, driving between things, and it just reminds me of racial epithets and Confederate flags. <laughs> it, well, so- so much of it, it, it was nice that the songs that you just hear all the time that become musical wallpaper, to have them sort of highlighted and yeah. like, yeah. let's appreciate this song. Like, okay. What is the emotional depth of this song? What are the characters experiencing as they're singing this music that you've heard a Any way you want times? it, that's the way you need it. That's yeah. <laughs> greatest bad yeah. songs of all time. And Rock of Ages uh, also, like, thinking about this weekend, Biggest movies are That's My Boy and Rock of Ages, both pretty substantial failures. So, yeah. yeah. What, but what other film to celebrate rock and roll, the songs itself, would you recommend other than Rock of Ages? Almost Famous. Ooh, yeah. Mm, that's solid. Yeah, okay. that's solid. Retracted. Yeah, no, these, yeah these, these are two failures. These are number three and four at the box office. Prometheus and Madagascar 3 are still ahead of yeah. all of the shit we've just talked about. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, shocked just looking Even at Even Prometheus? Pro- Prometheus. It's Prometheus. TV of 2012, June 10th through the 16th. I hope this is the last time we talk about Dallas because I think it's something yeah. that keeps coming up in multiple <laughs> decades that none of us care or know anything about. But in terms of primetime soapishness, one of the longest running storylines in television history because Dallas is resurrected for what, TNT? 20, yeah. 20 yeah. years, yeah. over 20 years after its conclusion, it's had TV movies, but they don't so much reboot it as in like keep. They continue the, it. They this continue is a straight up sequel. It's. J.R. Ewing Jr. Like, they have another character named J.R. Yeah. So, growing up, I actually got a lot of shit for J.R. Ewing. Like, oh. people, and they were like, oh, you're, you're named after that? No, I've never seen that show. I'm a 10-year-old. Why on earth would I watch that boring Dallas show? But I got that all the time. And then as the 90s progressed, people stopped ever mentioning it. And it's because Dallas faded yeah. so quickly. It was this huge thing, but once it was over, no one cared about well, I think it. We, and we talk about that a lot th- with a uh, primetime soaps. I mean, when we yeah. talk about Beverly Hills 90210 and like Melrose Place, like they don't last. 
No. They they mm-hmm. just I, I was there watching both those shows and I've never seen them rerun anywhere. They don't really sell on DVD. Nobody cares. Yep. Yeah. And it it's odd. And it's I guess that has something to do with the nature of what would you call it? Not so, being a nerd? No, no, no. <laughs> I I would say like there are dramas that like ER can be enjoyed now, but like that's the exception. The, 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 I mean, the, ta- the at- tawdry, like unbelievable things that happen in Dallas that are not unlike soap operas are soap operas are meant to be kind of disposable. Mm-hmm. So like you can't really go back to what's happening on Dallas. I've only and I've only know, I only know anything about Dallas through parodies. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. uh, I I don't know the show at all because it didn't really have a life in syndication afterwards. And uh, but what I do know about is cartoons, haha, <laughs> and a super charming one debuts. Oh, so this week. good! Gravity and Falls on, on Disney Channel. So it, it's kind of an easy binge because it's uh, only two two seasons. I, I I don't remember what exactly caused the creator to just yeah I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. I don't know, Alex but it's one. It, it wraps up like it tells a story. Uh, each, each episode is kind of like what I was talking about earlier, where where it's like uh, you can watch it individually, or overall there is you know an ongoing storyline as well. You can pick up pretty much anywhere at all, and it's so cute and just be- like beautiful to look at. Just the right amount of comedy and sort of like a uh, Twin Peaks for kids. It's uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 I can't tell you how many friends' kids I have like. It's a good show if you're an adult, but like it's really easy to obsess over if you're a kid because it has all these hidden things and has these book companions that are still, I think, bestsellers in your local Targets and Walmart that help you decipher things you see and hear on the show because there's all these hidden messages and coded stuff. And it's, it's, I think that's so fucking cool. And we, that's very 2012 because mm. I can't think of a single American cartoon, American cartoon, not anime, where you had a long running mystery throughout the series yeah. and where clues are dropped and where you can often look to other media to figure out things in the show. But I, I don't think that happened. I wanted to bring it up to you, JR, because we've talked a lot about like, the nature of fandom and how like, you know, I wouldn't blame kids for not being huge fans of things. Cause there's so many things to fucking enjoy. Now I, why would you obsess over gremlins? There's a, if it's successful, there'll be a thousand more and a thousand other things like it in a streaming TV show based on gremlins. But like gravity falls found a way in the internet era for kids to go beyond the show and, and yeah. engage, engage in uh, something different. I thought that was really clever and was just surprised. I'm still surprised that, hasn't come back like why isn't disney driving a dump truck of money up to this dude and like bring Mm -hmm. it back i don't know so during lockdown uh my children beat disney (laughs) plus and this was one of the levels they passed and i was busy lockdown was actually the busiest time i've ever been in my life uh so i couldn't watch it with them and i explored the first six episodes of gravity falls for this week's uh homework and I'm freaking in love with this show. (laughs) After six episodes, I want to watch the rest. I just didn't have time. But uh, the characters are very funny. The humor works on adult level. And if you change the name of Gravity Falls, at least in the first six episodes, to Erie, Indiana, this Mm -hmm. could 100% be a sequel to Erie, Indiana. They even have the book written by the Erie, Indiana characters. And don't tell me spoilers. I honestly don't want to know. I want to learn about this on my own. But this is a... This is a really solid show for an adult. And if you let it pass you by, I encourage anyone who's never seen it, pick up 
episode one rocks and it just gets better from there on yeah it's like it's like i think it's like the last standard definition dvd i've ever purchased the last new standard definition yeah. dvd i purchased but yeah i mean it's just because so many goofy throwback things the idea that you know it's about these two twins both voiced by jason renner and christian Shaw, both doing a fantastic job and like they have to go stay with their grunkle stan yeah. who live who runs a mystery spot which is already like a roadside attraction that's 60 years out of date <laughs> and like they're God. you know it's it's a shitty attraction um this oh there's a teenager there voiced by linda cardellini there she yes. is again <laughs> and you know but there's also like m- secret society mystery weird things going on and so that you know get into those but also just usual things of like being the younger kid who hasn't quite hit puberty and trying to hang out with like older teens and so much fun stuff yeah. like that yeah, it's one of those shows where it's, yeah so many people told me oh my god you gotta love this like twin peaks for kids it's fucking great never got around to it finally got around to it in lockdown and i was like i want it to never end i loved it i still i still quote mabel when she gets her pig and i get excited about something i just every is different <laughs> and uh my quote at the beginning of the show was grunkle stan uh, uh he said that when he got a wax figurine of himself i, I know we played yeah. it on a podcast but it was so funny when fucking jesus got to bring him up again when they idiot trump set up that hotline to report voting fraud he just kept calling in his grunkle stan <laughs> i stole a big bag of votes so big <laughs> leaving fake tips <laughs> and of course i mean i can't call anyone great uncle or great aunt or anything like ever again grunkle it's is such a great word grunkle. After. please yep. check out gravity falls i'm sure it's on disney plus and deserve... it is on disney plus i watched it this week if it hadn't been born uh, in the streaming era i think it would have stream streaming sequels uh also out this week a show i have never seen but heard good things about bunheads on abc family oh uh, yeah it's me sarah goes to bat for this one hard mm. well, it's also created by uh, amy sherman paladino created gilmore girls ah. and so it keeps with that theme and then it starts stars uh, sutton foster who's a big musical theater person but it's about i mean it's a comedy but that's about ballet school oh. as a girl who ends up working at a ballet school yeah, people who are obsessed with ballet you yeah. know that's a thing I'm, I'm glad they got their show yeah well i mean it's basically an extreme sport just yeah guys, that's but, accurate but, yeah. Art form. And uh, speaking of musical performance, the Tony's, the NPH back as host. Tony's 10 years ago. What's the big winner this time? Uh, well, best musical. I'm fascinated by the nominees because Once Wins, which is based on a film. Yeah, a relatively against, recent film at this point. Uh, yeah, up against Leap of Faith, based on a film, a Steve Martin film. We just talked about that. Steve is Martin. They made a musical at a Leap of Faith? They made a musical at a Leap of Faith. What the? F- also, the state adaptation of Newsies. These are already musicals. Being a failure many, many years before. And nice work if you can get it, which is basically a jukebox musical Gershwin music. It's strange. Why are you making musical versions out of movies you can rent that are musicals already? (laughs) Come on. Exactly. I expect more from this medium. And And, uh, Clyburn Park by Bruce Norris wins best play. Porgy and Bess. Wins best revival. Audrey McDonald starring Porgy and Bess wins best revival of a musical. All right. Uh, And then moving on to Stanley Cup where the LA Kings beat the New Jersey Devils. I feel like I may have talked to my friend into letting me play the New Jersey Devil and one of her. She's going to make a cryptid calendar. (laughs) Put (laughs) Put myself in the running. But in something I do truly truly love two of the greatest things to ever come out of conan o'brien's show are triumph so close to each other who we've mm. we've talked about 
I, and I, I've heard Conan talk more about recently is uh, Jack McBrayer, who would go on to play Kenneth on 30 Rock, but he played, he, he got that role because he played a page on Conan O'Brien's show, basically the exact same character, the wide-eyed hayseed page on the Conan O'Brien show. And there's, there was a scene that made me really uncomfortable in that Conan O'Brien documentary that looks like he's bullying Jack McBrayer and he's like punching. He's like, stand up for yourself because he keeps making fun of him. And he's like, no, no, that's because every time Jack McBrayer and I see one another, I, I do the character. Well, 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 if it ain't the farm boy, <laughs> sir, I am not a farm boy. <laughs> they, they, they get into that act and I love Jack McBrayer and triumph together. Is perfect. Yeah. I mean, I know this is a joke, I know what I'm watching is for comedy, but I felt bad for Jack oh, yeah. in this skit. I'm yeah. like, you're yelling at this nice man. I, I, yep. I think, and I think it's the, the, he goes to the Wiener Circle. I'm not sure if this is the place I went to when I was in Chicago where they insult you. Mm-hmm. Don't, if your friends give you, hand you a 20 and say, ask for a chocolate shake, just don't do it because that means I don't know how this works. And this was not even 10 years ago. All the large black ladies will come out and lift their shirts and bras and scream at you and jiggle their tits. And that's what a chocolate shake is. I think this is where I was, but (laughs) it sounds exactly like where you are. Yeah. Wiener circle in Chicago is notorious for um, not putting up with bullshit. Yes. And Jack McBrayer is here as this Jack McBrayer that he says, it's the nicest guy I know. Let's see how he does. Here you go. I'm letting you know I just want a hot dog. Do you want a char dog? I would like a regular char dog. Mustard and ketchup, please. So you want a mustard and cheese? Bitch, stop and try char dog. Mustard and cheese. Wipe your face. You swear like the mother. God damn. God damn. I love these places. I think I went to one of them in Boston too. And then they get triumph into, he's the only person who can bring the insults because these women are fucking fearless and are like so loaded with every kind of insult. <laughs> but uh, in comes Robert Smigel as triumph the insult comic dog. Hey, you know why you guys work for tips? Because no one would stick the whole thing in. <laughs> No. Oh, no, you didn't wash your ass today. <laughs> Slaps him. God, this is so fucking... In- and this is a... He uh, starts just yelling gibberish at yeah. And the sisterhood of the traveling pets. It sounds very insulting. That is so filthy. I am oh. always polite to waiters. I've never exploded at one. But if I have some time... <laughs> To keep that insult in my back pocket, just in case it's ever fully warranted, because that is the most filthiest thing I have heard someone yell at a waiter. Oh, I don't life. know. There's a point where they, I think, Triumph says something like, you kiss your pimp with that mouth? <laughs> <laughs> and this is an odd backdoor pilot for a show nobody remembers, the Jack and Triumph show on Adult I Swim. I remember it. I, yeah, it was, it, was I, it was just a bad so format. Weird. They made a traditional sitcom out of... Jack McBrayer and Triumph living together with like Michael Winslow. Um, yeah, like June Squibb and um, what's his name? The Chocolate Rain guy would show up a lot. Yes, Tazon Day. Tazon Day. <laughs> and he would play cards. It was but, like, 
Okay. Two of my favorite things to come out of Conan O'Brien combined together for the first time. Yeah, Jack McBrayer and Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. Let's move on to video games. Jesus, I didn't know that. Uh, Pikmin 2 is out on Wii. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm sure this is JR's uh, note here. With commercials like this, how can this not be a hit? This is was a bunch, like dozens of little people dressed as Pikmin running through New York City. Demanding hot dogs. Demanding hot dogs. Uh, hot dogs have no part in Pikmin 2. No. Uh, so this, I think, Pikmin is Nintendo's newest IP. Yeah, technically. And it's over 20 years old. Yeah, that or like a, when you look at Smash, like the Wii Fit Girl or xenoblades it's like the only new ip nintendo has that has had any foothold other than maybe fire emblem which i know nothing about yeah Uh, but uh pikmin is a amazing series it's all about being little and exploring a great big world where you are tiny there's great world building it's a bizarre reality like ours where it's grounded on our earth but there's some creatures who are earth-like and some who are not the pikmin are super cute and you have to send them to their deaths. Yeah, that's my... Which... <laughs> I've been able to play it without killing any Pikmin, but it makes the game, like, really, really fucking hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I hate I... it. I'm so bad at stuff like that. I can't send sentries out just to die. Don't make me make that decision. I'd rather be the sentry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's gorgeous, bright vibrant colors gameplay you can play more than once because it's all about time management so you can always improve your time management oh this uh, this is pikmin 2 port the, the second pikmin was on gamecube and they made it for wii U, wii because this third pikmin's out in like a year and a half order up on 3ds is out and a big week someone remind james gunn he's got a big week ahead of him this is when i met him because he wasn't famous as the guardians of the galaxy director yet he was the writer on Lollipop Chainsaw, a hmm. tongue-in-cheek, very James Gunn-toned, what would you call it, comedy horror game. Yeah. That isn't the best, but like it at the time, like video games have a really hard time being funny. Still do, uh, especially when they're action-focused. And this one is fucking funny. And somewhere I still have some Lollipop Chainsaw stuff, but it's out 10 years ago, Xbox 360 and PS3. Asking the important question, how long can you look up an 18-year-old girl's skirt and have it remain interesting? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or literally being hit by the word slut as it comes to life and <laughs> becomes a weapon. This this game has a lot of visuals a lot of world building a lot of humor i think a lot of people have fond memories of it for everything but the gameplay yeah i think the gameplay is pretty repetitive hack and slash broken up by some mini games and and and, you know we don't need to talk about it anymore but if women have some problem with the way women are depicted in games, most of that is on display in a game like this. Uh, no, not the most inviting game for the fair sex. And th- this this is what was shocking to me because I had no idea it was happening. We have a brief bit of comic book, comic news, comic strip news that Matt Groening had despite all his success on television with The Simpsons and Futurama, had never stopped writing Life in Hell the entire time. I don't get that. I don't either, because every single thing I see with Bart Simpson on it, he's clearly signed because he drew it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, But but, uh, Life in Hell comes to an end after 35 years of nonstop publication. Yeah, I I like 
the vast, vast majority of uh, kids my age, I got into Life in Hell comics because of The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. And then mm-hmm. I was very disappointed in them because it wasn't really The Simpsons. It's... I mean, the Life in Hell comics are not afraid to get dark. It has one comic that is just all about a father telling his son, there's probably no heaven, probably nothing happens when you die other than non-existence. So come to terms with that because you're not going to exist so you won't feel bad about it so uh what it tight what did it really show you and, and i didn't wasn't able to like put my finger on this like until years later till i got to know the body of work of the creator of the simpsons but it shows you like that initial subversive element of the simpsons is all matt graining not james l brooks or sam simon those are the professional tv people and and James L. Brooks is great with character and heart and family, but like, yeah, Matt Groening's kind of an upstart at heart. And despite being one of the richest men in television, never stopped writing this comic. And I don't, I didn't discover till after the Simpsons. Cause there's no way I would have been reading any publication that would publish, that would host this comic. I don't yeah. even know where it yeah. was. Like alt weeklies and shit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it not, wasn't hugely syndicated and uh, yeah, it was, it's subversive and it's still kind of funny you just see how many people how many web web comics are probably inspired by this really oh, neat yeah yeah and, and that's probably again life in hell is as far as the legend goes that is what he was supposed to be making as interstitials for the tracy ullman show and at the very last second like nah i'd rather keep that personal let me and then like pitches a family based on all of his family's names like really pulled it out of his ass <laughs> and if, and that's how we had the simpsons instead of bongo and uh akbar and jeff and on tv and of course marge simpson was originally supposed to be a rabbit with the ears revealed and that's why she has such long hair yes it was gonna a joke they were prepping in, and the only evidence of it is in the simpsons arcade game when marge gets electrocuted you can see the ear anyway Almost done with the show, but we got to tell you who lived and who died. And we have a fun quiz that has really get my ass kicked by Diana here uh, no, last couple no, of weeks. No, we're two and one. Are we? But yeah. just, it was so fast last time. And with someone I sh- hate that you got because he's just one of my favorite people in the world who I know a ton about. And you just got it with his fucking alma mater so fast. Thanks for listening. Patreon.com slash laser time is how we're supported. Throw us five bucks. We'll throw you a bunch of extra shows, including sick star Wars bonus time. Talk about chip and Dale's rescue Rangers and kids, new kids in the hall. Oh, I'd love to talk with somebody about stranger things at some point. And, uh, uh, holy shit, Barry, y'all watching Barry. So good. Diana, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at listeninerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, that's 302010podcast. Next week, big, big week. We got uh, a Pixar movie with some bears. We got a Disney movie with an alien. We've got a Tom Cruise movie Uh, again, but this time it's about uh, seeing the future and crime. And we've got um, the sexiest Batman movie that Batman's barely in. (laughs) <laughs> and i still think it's the best one yeah yeah it's incredible oh, so much good stuff jr where can people find you i'm taking a sabbatical from social media but if you want to text me at twitter j-r-r-a-l-l-s i will be checking in on that in august all right and yeah you can see jr all over our patreon talking about cone and et and some of your feedback patreon.com slash laser time die who died during uh june 10th to the 16th across 30 2010 in 2002, as we lost crime boss John Gotti, who was 61, Aww. died in prison of throat cancer. Oh. Yeah. And we also lost Choi Hong Hee, who is the kind of the founder of Taekwondo, 
who's 83 it turns out it's like really controversial yeah about yeah. where he stands in taekwondo and who is really the the founder or popularizer of taekwondo but he's one of the guys in the discussion i guess yeah, yeah. he's in the discussion he's 100 percent in the discussion yeah. call him Calling him the founder, maybe too much. Yeah, it's it's it was very very complicated. I learned trying to figure it out, learning all kinds of different schools of thought on Taekwondo, and anyway, and then in 2012 we lost uh, former gangster Henry Hill, who's 69. What so, Hank Hill? Why have I never put that together? <laughs> Henry Hill was never the boss of the crime family. No. He was never even a capo. He was a fairly low-ranking guy, but today he's still one of the most famous gangsters who ever lived. Yep. And the lesson is he talked. Yeah. Yes. And... The lesson is very clear. If you do a crime in a group, go to the police as quickly as you can. The first guy to talk to the DA wins. Yep. And it's what's that is always true. If you are part of a group of things, be the first guy to flip. Heartbreaking yep. about those final scenes in Goodfellas, just him like having to like just sell out everybody now yep. it's all over and yep. yeah egg noodles and, and ketchup egg the aftermath ketchup. of that is he eventually gets kicked out of the witness protection program yeah. mm -hmm. because he kept getting drunk and messing things up his yeah. wife eventually divorced him and he eventually Karen. stopped using his assumed name and went back to henry hill because everyone who wanted him dead was dead themselves or in jail yeah it's still shocking that like Still a code among gang members. You don't you don't fucking snitch. I'm su I'm surprised he wasn't murdered. Yeah, he uh, wasn't. Uh, and yeah. It, I'm, I'm it, surprised not by a mobster, but by some mook who thinks he's cool. Oh yeah, be like yeah. How much now cred I'm, would you get in no any way. fucking in any crew if you were yeah. the guy who took down the biggest yeah. rat in history? Yeah, the most famous. He he obviously had some substance abuse problems he had some anger control issues never really settled down turn his mind in the mush and i slapped his face <laughs> i know his last arrest was in 2009 yeah. <laughs> three years before he dies when he is 66 i cannot imagine spending a night in jail in my 40s let alone <laughs> when i'm 66 i mean at that age i'd just be like i could do some crime but eh, who's i don't have the energy and uh how Weirdly coincidental is it that Ray Liotta made him even more famous, dies mm -hmm. 10 years almost to the day. Yeah. Uh, really, uh. really don't like Ray Liotta dying. And I know it's not, has probably more to do with his closeness to my, the, the love of my movie coming from my father and him being so fucking close to my father's age. Like, oh no. <laughs> Stop thinking about that, Christopher. I just <laughs> thought it was because of your, uh, your constant love of something wild being filmed like around your hometown it's if you have not seen that fucking movie yeah. in terms of a, like yes good fellas obviously you if you listen to the show you've heard us recommend it something wild is ray liotta's breakthrough performance and it's one of the most intense that dude is hot as fuck in the movie while being scary as shit like you really see just a, a fucking magic behind that dude's eyes in that film and it's like the most famous thing shot moments from my house my my childhood home it's that intersection. There's a crane shot at the intersection of the gas station. We would get gas, the liquor store. Where my parents would get liquor. Uh, it's very strange. I don't know why Jonathan Demi did that, but nice guy. Ray Liotta, RIP. But it's Henry Hill who died 10 years ago. But with uh, the death set away, we got to get to who was born with the ba 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 birthday quiz. 
Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Birthday quiz. Who's born during this period of 302010? Hmm. Turning 58, born June 15, 1964, in Birmingham, Alabama, where she was also raised. She attended George Washington University at the time, Mount Vernon College in Washington, D.C., but did not complete her architecture degree, instead going into modeling and acting. Give me more. Give me more. more. Oh, you're not going to invalidate all my research and just guess the name already? No? We're Don't not let her do that. that. Okay. Where place to go? Was it Mississippi, you said? Birmingham, Alabama. Alabama. Okay. Just, all right. Can I just throw a random one out? Sure. Can I sell leather? No. no she not. briefly worked at Bethesda in the 1980s. It did not last, and later she went on to host the Fallout 3 launch party in October of 2008. That, it can't be Aisha Tyler, can it? No. Okay. I mean, I knew it wasn't. I was just throwing it out there so Diana couldn't get it wrong. She uh, starred as Gloria Dinalo in the short-lived series oh, Misfits of Science in 1985. Oh, shoot. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Um, it's not Sarah Jessica Parker, is it? It is not. Movies of her we have already talked about include Masters of the Universe. Courtney Cox? Yes, it is yeah. Courtney Cox. <laughs> Studied architecture. Studied architecture, worked at Bethesda. And yeah, just other a- uh, films of hers we've talked about Cocoon the Return, I'll Be Home for Christmas, Mr. Destiny, and here's where it gets super easy Scream, Scream 2, Scream, Scream 4, and then 1984, Dancing in the Dark video. Oh, and if you didn't get it at that point, I was just going to yell, <laughs> Friends! It's Friends! <laughs> And we haven't talked about Ace Ventura yet? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, that's in the future. Yeah. Uh, Cougar Town? Uh, yeah. Courtney oh, yeah. Cox. I feel like we've talked about Cougar Town here and there. Yeah. Probably just in context of community, but, you know, there you go. Yeah, I've, I've seen Cougar Town. It's good. I like it. Uh, it's, yeah, the title sucks. It's not what you think it's going to be. Uh, that's one of the most hilarious stories in all of television where they clearly ABC is just out of – of course we'll greenlight a show called Cougar Town – that's hilarious. And then like two episodes in, the creator and the star are like, we don't like this at all anymore. Can we change yeah. the, the whole subject of the show? It's really obvious they were pitching us like Desperate Housewives, the sitcom. Yeah. Can we just change like, this? It. Stop she it. She spends half the show, more than half the show married. Thank you for listening to 302010. Maybe tell a friend about the show. Maybe watch Rock of Ages. Maybe avoid That's My Boy. I'd love, we'd love to hear your thoughts. We got a Facebook group. We got a comment section. Love hearing everyone else's anecdotes, especially when they're embarrassing or tragic. So we're going to close out with something with some <laughs> something we'll probably never be able to do again. Something with Tom Cruise singing. Wait, how are we feeling? Are we feeling like the party anthem of pour some sugar on me or are we feeling like the heartfelt ballad of wanted dead or alive oh i'm i'm always down to party all right pour some sugar on me yeah uh, you mean uh, don't you mean on god i hate how long they extend the word me god i hate that song <laughs> in the name of love you in should the name of love. pour some sugar on me yeah my friends at their wedding cut their cake to that and i it felt like really appropriate i'm like this should be like a thing everyone does what cut their cake to stripper music yes exactly okay (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening i'm so glad to have a win under my belt uh we will be back next week get your tim burton dvds out this is gonna be fun say goodbye